Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. My name is Patrick. I'm your host. And this podcast is designed to inspire you to go outside and ride your damn bike. Today's inspirational figure comes by way of Katie McGuire, who was our Lantern Rouge at this year's East Texas Showdown. A Lantern Rouge is a fancy way or a nice way of saying last place, but it is certainly a term of endearment and an honor to be the last place finisher of this year's race and, and really any race. We always got to respect everybody who guts it out all the way to the end to finish when, you know, maybe you wanted to pull out, maybe you wanted to quit. It wasn't going your way. Uh, we'll let Katie tell her story, but, you know, there is a lot of value in pushing through when things are hard and you want to quit. And I really respect Katie for coming up across some obstacles and some challenges that she wasn't expecting whenever she signed up for the race. But, you know, she kept a positive attitude or tried to, and and uh, she got it done. Before heading over to do my East Texas showdown, she had spent the previous about five or six months uh, pretty much living off of her bike due to the fact that she lost her job during the pandemic. So she took that opportunity to do what she's wanted to do for quite some time, which is to go and explore on her bike. She accumulated about 4,000 miles in that time and got to go and see and do a lot of uh, great solo bike packing. I met with Katie on a very uncomfortable park bench that was like at a slant and angled and um, I'm fairly tall, but neither one of our feet would touch the ground. But it was, it was actually a beautiful day, and we had a wonderful conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it. But before we get to that episode, I want to take a minute to thank our newest sustaining patrons. If you enjoy this episode or any of the body of work that we bring you here at Bikes for Death, maybe you'd like to sign up as a patron to either buy me a coffee in the morning or a whiskey to help soothe away the day's aches and pains. To do so, you can sign up over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death, and you can sign up to be a sustaining member of this show for as little as a dollar a month, and genuinely, every dollar counts. So let's take a moment to thank this week's newest patrons. First, we have Drew Pittman, Mark Smith, Matt Christensen, and Caleb Schnatz. Thank you, gentlemen, for signing up to be a supporting and sustaining member of the podcast, and I'll see you on the private Facebook group. Everybody else, head over to patreon.com forward slash bikes or death to sign up. All right, everybody, today I've got a new advertising partner that I'd like to reintroduce to you. Some of you may have listened to my episode with Kate Gates. She's one of the owners of Mulberry Gap in Ellijay, Georgia. She's on the podcast today as an advertising partner. And Kate, why don't you go ahead and reintroduce Mulberry Gap to anybody who maybe hasn't listened to that episode yet? Yeah, awesome. Well, I appreciate having the chance to talk with you today, Patrick, and um, grateful for this opportunity. So yeah, Mulberry Gap started back in 2007 with my mom and my now mother-in-law and now husband, 
and I was just dating Andrew at the time, but uh, we've been in our 15th year now, and Andrew and I have kind of taken over the business from the parents who have re-retired back to Florida because this started as a retirement hobby for them. So yeah, we've been we've been here kind of running the show for about the last eight or nine years in the general sense. And yeah, I've been having a great time here in the North Georgia mountains. So we offer a mixture of cabins and campsite lodging for overnight guests, as well as day use options for people. If you're just kind of in the area or live close by and kind of staying overnight doesn't make the most sense for you. We've got hot tubs. Those are absolutely important. Shuttles to various trailheads throughout the area um, for not only bikers, but hikers and trail runners as well. We have a pretty great beer selection uh, in our retail store, as well as wine that'll be coming next year in 2022. We're going to be adding that to our list of services. We've got Really, really good, amazing home-cooked meals that my mother-in-law did for the first 14 years of the business. But we have a new cook, Donna, that's been kicking ass this year and keeping our reputation alive in the in the food department. We are very well known for our food. We've also got a really great events calendar with different clinics and courses throughout the year, group rides, group runs. We host different events like weddings, bikepacking summits, you know, different gravel events and just kind of a little bit of everything. So basically we are seeking the outdoor adventurer to come out here and kind of use us as a base camp to access all the recreation in the North Georgia mountains. Yeah, it's a beautiful spot that y'all have there. I obviously met you at the 2019 Bikepacking Summit that was held at Mulberry Gap, and that's when we got a chance to have you on the podcast. So um, we'll be having you back on the podcast for sure, but for people who want to kind of take a deeper dive into Mulberry Gap, I'll put the link to the episode that you and I did in the show notes so people can check that out. Yeah, awesome. That sounds great. Well, thanks for coming on today, Kate. Thank you. All right, everybody. Well, that is it for paying bills on this episode. I am leaving tomorrow early, early to head over to Las Cruces, New Mexico, where they're hosting the first ever New Mexico Bikepacking Summit on Friday. And then Saturday and Sunday is the Danger Bird, which is not a race. It is a a ride that you can do in any way fashion, shape, form that you want to do it. Uh, In fact, you don't even need your bike. You can just walk it or run it if you want to. The weather is looking absolutely insane, and I'm very much looking forward to heading up to New Mexico and being a part of that amazing event. I'm going to be there with my camera and my microphone, so if you see me there, come up, say hi, and uh, maybe we can chat a little bit for the podcast. Okay, uh, major announcement. Woo, woo, woo. I need a siren. I need some like uh, bells and whistles or something. But major East Texas showdown announcement and news. I'm officially announcing that we are going to hold a spring edition of the East Texas showdown. Mark your calendars for April 1st. Those are the only details that I'm going to give out, right? Well, I'll give a few more out. The route is going to stay the same based on everybody's feedback and opinions. The route was good or great, depending on who you were. But overall, uh, the route was really well received. The event was well received. And actually, the demand and interest in having this in the spring was so great that, um, hey, I'm not one to turn down a good time. If y'all want to get together and ride your bikes 
have a party in the woods, then I am all about that. So let's make it happen. More details will be coming out very, very soon. Uh, but for right now, if you just want to mark your calendars for April 1st, we're going to do this damn thing, and I'm going to be releasing uh, more info ASAP. A good way to keep updated with news for the East Texas Showdown is there's a Facebook page, there's also an Instagram page, or you can sign up for the Bikes or Death newsletter uh, just at bikesordeath.com. So uh, follow along if you want to get some more deets. All right, everybody, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Our 2021 East Texas Showdown Lantern Rouge. Whoa. <laughs> How are you feeling? So we're, uh, what did it say, four days after after the race? I don't know. Is it four or three days? Three, three days? or four days. Yeah, it's I not very I far. I was last, so I finished significantly after <laughs> after first place. It's been a, it's been one one or two less days. Oh. I'm feeling okay. I, uh, I recovered pretty fast. You know, my legs are a little sore. Mentally, I'm fine. I'm super happy that I, you know, did the 340 out of the 380. I wish it could have, you know, had a different outcome. I wanted to feel a little bit better at the start, but... I'm super pleased with what I was able to accomplish with what I kind of brought to the table at the start, which honestly wasn't a lot um, from kind of a hectic week and just hectic life transition yeah. beforehand. So the fact that I did my two longest rides consecutively back to back, I was really, really impressed with myself. So You're too long. Oh, so like day one and day two. Yeah. Yeah. I had never ridden over like 112 miles because I honestly just never felt the need to. Right. So the fact that I kind of did it two times in a row um, was just, that was, an, that was an accomplishment for me Hell on very yeah. little in the tank and not, not feeling all that great. Yeah. So the legs were great. Um, to be honest, it was every other body part that just kind of <laughs> uh, shit the bed. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Shit the bed. Well said. <laughs> Uh, I've been by myself all summer, so my language might be a little good. <laughs> I'll keep it in check. No, please don't, man. <laughs> you should have heard. Well, um, oh, you were yeah. You missed the uh, kind of my the the speech that I gave at the end with the awards and everything like that. I got to thinking back about it, and I was cursing like a sailor. I was f this and f that. I was just whenever I get excited, I start cussing. Man, they just start yeah. flying out of my mouth. I'll tell you what. It's just it's just how how it comes out sometimes. Well, luckily, That's how you feel. Yeah. And the other thing that you have to remember is that we have an editor and this is all so like if, oh. if we need, we just, you know, snip, snip. no, okay. no one needs to hear if we st say something stupid, you know, 
<laughs> okay, good. I was a little worried about that. I was no. telling my dad, I'm like, I'm nervous. I'm like, I've been by myself so much this summer. I've had, I've only had my own thoughts uh, for the most part. So uh, this is this is good for me since I'm in job job hunting mode and have oh, to get back to... into interview. But yeah, I'm gonna find... interview you. <laughs> well, I've always had a really like you know if I'm in a professional setting, I can keep a very like professional demeanor. But this is that like in between zone. So. Right. Yeah, we'll this is. I would hope this is not professional. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to keep this as not professional as possible. Yeah. Well, I actually was thinking I am at when this eventually is published, um, I will have no problem sharing this with any kind of like future employers because I want them to know know what their employees can do and the type of tough mental things that they are they are capable of. And yeah. Um, you know, people can do more than they think. So this is something, you know, I believe in open, being completely open and transparent. I don't have anything to hide. Yeah. So I I would freely share this with anyone who would consider, you know, employing me <laughs> in the future. Well, yeah, like what? Oh, you cuss? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Katie cusses. <laughs> just, just as a, you know, to show, you know, how well-rounded or, you know, yeah. Other aspects of an employee, there's more to than more to people than just that's what's on their resume that make them valuable. Do, I mean, I try. I mean, I'm self-employed and have been so for a long time. I'm. I like what you're saying. I think that's really cool. But how many employers do you think are really valuing that from an employee? I'm just curious. So I don't know. They they're. Not very many, but I think that... <laughs> if you find the right one. If you find the right one, I, I think there's a lot of lip service to that effect about being open and transparent and valuing employees who have varied backgrounds or coming from, um, you know, outside of, you know, a particular industry and transitioning. Um, so just... We'll see. You know, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there and see if any yeah. see if anyone bites. You know, it'll be available. They don't have to listen to it. Right. They might not be interested, but I'm not going to hide it. I hear How you. How about that? I hear you. Let's just set the stage with what happened with your job because that kind of leads into what you've been oh, doing the last, like, five it, months, you know? It really does. So I have worked uh, for 10 years in the oil and gas industry, so it's been very, very kind of straight-laced, very corporate, corporate roles. Um, so I've always found biking as my kind of like release to like show my true personality. Uh, and about six months ago, I knew I was going to get laid off. So I'm like, all right, you know, I haven't had a lot of time to do any bikepacking or big adventure or, you know, these self-propelled transits across a continent, if you may. And I've always... I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I just... I've always wanted to do a big self-paced adventure. Um, maybe when I was younger, it was something like hiking the Continental Divide Trail or the PCT. And now I'm like, why would I walk? I can bike a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do have some thoughts on that later. Okay. But I always wanted to do a trip. So I got laid off and I'm like, all right, it's go time. So I uprooted my entire life in Austin, moved out of my house, dropped off my cats with my dad in Pittsburgh, and I drove to California to kind of start this process where I was not going to look for a job. I was just going to accept the time off that had been kind of granted to me and take advantage of the fact that I had never had the balls to just quit my job before. Right. So... It's hard to do. It's really hard to do. And I would like to think that I could do it now, but now I'm kind of getting back into the real world and 
I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I have that same desire to, to uproot. I've found some meaning in the communities that I've built and how much I really, really value them and, and need them in my life. So I think I'd be less willing to just kind of uproot and say, I want to be a vagabond traveler. Yeah. Yeah. There's something very romantic about that idea. I've lived in the same town for 41 years, so I am not a vagabond traveler. I travel a lot. I, I go a lot of places, but I have a home. But I've always had this like romantic idea of kind of you know, being a wandering man, you know, and being able to go anywhere you want, anytime you want to, you know? Yeah, I, I feel that. And I've, I've felt that, you know, my entire life, my, uh, you know, my family, uh, my mom's side of the family came from Czechoslovakia and there's a little, you know, a little bit of gypsy Romanian, Romanian, um, okay. you know, we always, we always joked about it as kids and as travelers and kind of new to the continent and moving around a lot. And it's just, my parents instilled this like will to travel and see different places, but they always talked about it and didn't act on it much, um, in my time. So I think they had done a little bit more when they were younger, like they bike toured for their honeymoon. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm turning into my parents. <laughs> <laughs> but That's an okay thing to follow suit in. Yeah. Yeah. We'll allow that. They're, they're cool people. And you know what? They just took me a while to come took me a while to come around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Back to my transition. So I moved to California basically. I took a car load of bikes and some adventure gear, you know, all my bike packing equipment that I had acquired and did a, just started planning, started planning some trips. My first. Why California? Like, did you know somebody there? I have some roots in California. I went to grad school out there and my brother and sister-in-law live there. And my, um, my other brother recently moved to Santa Cruz. So I had some family to stay with and bum around, basically kind of do some base camp adventures. Yeah. I really like California and Southern California and the, the mountains. I'm a geologist. And so I res- <laughs> I've, I've studied the San Gabriel and San Bernardino mountains. And I just, I wanted to do this transit of the San Andreas Fault in the Southern California region. And I'd had, had kind of had a dream of doing that for quite a while. So I planned it out and actually found a route that already kind of followed most of what I wanted to see and, you know, acted on it. And it was my first big like backcountry bikepacking trip. And I just dove right headfirst into a 14 day trip. 14 days. <laughs> yes. Wow. Solo. Solo. Wow. In the desert. With no very limited resources. <laughs> this, yeah, this is what I wanted to talk about because I was only watching, you know, through Instagram and oh. uh, didn't know the backstory. I didn't, I didn't know if you quit or if you got fired. I didn't know what you were doing, but it looked like you were just living on your bike and having the time of your life. <laughs> well, that's good. You know, that's the what I wanted to. I, I wanted to let people know that I was okay. Like I was, I was in a good, I was in a good place. So I didn't want to, you know. I could describe my situation as like, well, I'm homeless, I'm jobless, and I don't know where I'm like, I don't know where I'm going in life and I haven't, <laughs> but that's really not true. That's the most negative outlook. So, you know, I'm looking for new opportunities and taking advantage of the time and fitness and kind of what I built up for the past 10 years and connections that I have to go out and see the world and do a little bit of the stuff that I've actually been dreaming of doing. Yeah. Well, it's not like you quit your job, like you said. I mean, you got laid off, so. Yeah. Eh. Dude, I'm life making lemonade. You, there you go. <laughs> when it gives you lemons. So, I mean, you got to, I mean, yeah. I'm making lemonade. Gotta, you got to take some time for yourself. It's hard to do. Um, and not everybody has that opportunity or privilege to be able to, like, you know, take some time off and be like, okay, I'm going to 
go do that. But man, if you can, you definitely should. I wish I could. I might never have an opportunity like this again. Yeah, not till you retire. Exactly. You know? And then who knows what shape I'll be in or what even my, you know, my goals might be. I might, you know, have other priorities at that point. So yeah. talk more a little bit how you planned and prepared for that 14 day trip. You said this is like your longest solo bike tour. Like that's a pretty <laughs> underta- big undertaking. I you didn't start with four days. You're like, nope, no, 14. I- Planning, the planning and prep on that trip was basically watching a video that someone else had posted of the route. Um, I believe the route was called the SoCal Rambler. I found it on bikepacking.com. And I just, I planned out my own little connector route from my brother's house in Palmdale, California, to get up into the mountains and join that route. And I just went for it. I... Knew that I could just sleep on some pull-offs on the side of the road, um, on some the, some of these gravel roads. The San Gabriels are extremely steep and rugged, so there's very little opportunity in some places to, you know, find good campsites that aren't already developed. And sometimes, literally, you know, if you're tired and you need to set your head down to rest for a second, you only got, like, a curve in the road where it's, you know, they've widened it to let cars pass or something like that. What are the roads like? Um, there's a lot of Jeep and OHV trails. So I like to tell people that I have pushed my bike up almost every single badass OHV trail in the San Gabriel, San Bernardino Mountains and San Jacinto Mountains at this point. Okay. (laughs) The route involved crossing, um, some major highways and some major access points. So at one point, you know, it was a Saturday and I was on a super popular, you know, road to some more like gnarly OHV trails and I got stuck in off-road traffic. Oh, <laughs> yeah. like Jeeps? Jeep, whole, Jeep traffic, yeah. yeah. We're just waiting. There's a, you know, the road's super narrow. It's a, you know, steep drop-off on the left. It's steep on the right. There's nowhere to get around. And the last thing you need to be is a bike kind of like weaving your way while these Jeeps are, you know, pulling themselves and rock crawling and like, attempting features and failing right. it, it takes them a couple times and they're sliding around the last thing you need to do is be a bike just to kind of add the, add to the chaos and honestly it was really inspiring to watch i had never really appreciated what ohv and taking your big rock crawler jeep really entailed yeah and how much trust these people have to put into others and how much direction they have to be able to follow and it, it was inspiring so i had no i thought it was just a bunch of like dudes with big trucks and went out <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, a rock crawl. <laughs> i mean uh yeah there is a lot that goes into it a lot of money and a lot of uh time and effort and a lot of people have to be there to yes. to, to do it it's experience and trust to just if someone tells you to put your wheel left and you just put in a you know $5,000 upgrade that could get torn off somehow. <laughs> you you got to trust that person cuz they're the ones who can see. So I just I found that that was a, that was very inspiring. That see. doesn't appeal to me at all. No, I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> trusting other people? What? <laughs> $5,000 in trusting other people. Hmm, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pedal my $5,000 bike. <laughs> But you'd meet these, you know, you get to talking to these crews and they're like, yeah, we've been doing this together for 20 years. Or, oh, wow. you know, we, we come out here every, um, you know, every Memorial Day weekend or whatnot, yeah. or the third weekend in June or something. And, you know, they, 
been doing it forever. And, you know, bum of beer, you know, I got, I got lots of hand ups. It was wonderful. Cause they're like, you're on a bike. That is so cool. Well, hell yeah. 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 I yeah. And you're t- out there by yourself. Yeah. I got hand ups to refusal. I'm like, I can't take any more water. It's like, oh, I can't have another beer right now. <laughs> it's like, I got, I got 30 more miles and 5,000 more feet of climbing to do today, <laughs> dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you though. Thank you. Yeah. Did you have any uh, fears about doing it solo, being a female? Did you have any issues? No. Scariness? No. I no, I did not have any fears about being out there um, solo. The only thing I was that ever crossed my mind was mountain lions because they're kind of scary and you don't really see them coming. So and if they want to stalk you, they're going to stalk you and there's not a whole hell of a lot you can do about it. Yeah. Um, so just, I, I did end up seeing some mountain lion tracks and I did run into a, a forest service ranger at one point who said, it's like, oh yeah, no, that area, like that mountain, that that's where we see our mountain lions all the time when we're out here. So it's like, glad you didn't camp there. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, I don't, I've never had bad, like, weird or off experiences traveling alone, um, either on that trip or the summer or just even throughout my other kind of biking adventures and whatnot. I don't have a lot of fear about being a solo female. I fear for my bike sometimes um, when I'm when I'm traveling, but me as a person. Like someone stealing it or something? Yeah, yeah. Or just, you know, I forget my lock a lot or I just don't have one and I'm employing the helmet lock. <laughs> <laughs> Which I will say, when you try to roll your bike away with your helmet locked to your wheels, <laughs> it really is effective. <laughs> I, uh, I've done it to myself quite a few times. That's what I'm picturing. <laughs> I'm picturing you coming out of a gas station and like rolling away. And be like, Shit. Yep. Yep. That's exactly. That's God exactly damn it. Not again. <laughs> I fooled myself. <laughs> I wonder why. Do you know where that comes from? Do you just. I just, I think it's a confidence. Um, just a confidence that I've had. Probably helps if up. you have confidence that it's, you know, it's like dogs smell your fear or whatever it's like you feed into that to some extent but if you're like not fearful and you don't present yourself as a target or whatever yeah and i think i generally believe that most people either want nothing to do with you or have goodwill for the most part and there's a lot of things that a simple conversation can just resolve if there are any like weird feelings um where you get the idea hey maybe they don't want me here so I'll leave. But, you know, specific examples of feeling like threatened, I don't have any. And I'm I'm a 35-year-old female and I just, I don't have them. Yeah. So maybe I'm totally oblivious. Um, I don't know. Because I definitely, I have plenty of friends who have these stories. and I talk to a lot of females that don't have issues. Some may have fears or concerns. Others may not. But I think you're right. I think by and large, most people are experiencing the outdoors and bike trips and tours and stuff without any issues. But it is a fear that some people have. And so uh, I think it's worth worth talking about. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I, I totally understand where those fears come from. Um, and I don't I don't know what sage words of advice I could give. I could really give people other than, you know, When you look around, look like you own the place and you belong there and you know what you're doing, even if you have no bloody idea where you are, where you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep. 
just own it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great advice. Don't, don't like present yourself as a victim in any way, you know, especially if you don't need help, you know, if you want to be left alone, present yourself in a way that you want to be left alone. Nope. I got it. Yep. Know exactly where I'm going. Yep. Got my food, got my water. Yep. Been here a thousand times. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, yeah. I don't need a ride to the top of that mountain. No way. <laughs> I, I, I pedaled all the way here. I'm going to pedal. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, I think that's great advice having just, yeah, it's some confidence and, uh, and present yourself in a way that you know what you're doing, you're capable, all those things. Yeah. Exactly. I like to tell, you know, if someone asks me if I, hey, you need to ride up that mountain after, you know, you're riding up a gravel road, they might see me walking if it's steep or something and they'll stop to chat and like, hey, you want to ride? I'm like, no, I'm exactly where I want to be and plan to be. Yeah. And they usually just say, all right, ma'am, you have a nice day. (laughs) Trundle off on their way and I go my way. Trundle off on their way. (laughs) I like that. I say the same thing. I'm exactly where I want to be. That's a great, that's a great response to anybody that's like, you need anything? Like, nope, I'm exactly where I want to (laughs) be. Yeah. That's a good answer. So being right where you want to be in the San Gabriels. Yes. Yes. uh, What, what was the good part? What? Tell us how it went. So obviously there was nothing. I tried to get some drama out of you. That was no good. So no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think the, dra- the drama, the, the drama was in the effort, and my uh, I had to basically. I started off on a with a bike with gears that I didn't really want to be doing the ride in, but I had a at that point I had a very small window where I could thought I could reasonably finish this route before I had to catch a train to go meet someone in Seattle, uh, I'm sorry, no, Bellingham, Washington to do a different tour. So I had, I had a specific amount of time. I'm like, I can't wait around for this part to get here. So I set off and it ended up just being, I had to walk, walk a little bit more of the climbs that I probably, I should have been able to pedal up, um, which is fine. And I, I had to accept that mentally. You know, I set off you know, not really knowing what the grade of the roads was going to be. So I didn't know how much walking. I had no concept of, you know, what an appropriate distance um, and or an amount of climbing per day would be for me. So I had that, I had a vague recommendation from, you know, bikepacking.com on the amount of days it might take, but I knew I was going to deviate because I wanted to go see some uh, specific like rock outcrops that I had visited or studied as gra- you know, part of grad school field trips um, or can Styrations. <laughs> what? Styrations. I don't yeah. That's not the right word. Uh, Stylolites? Damn it. I was going to I was going to try to come with a geography. Okay. Let's Striations. 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 Oh, yes. yes there were some. <laughs> I was definitely I know one looking word. for false looking lines uh, and got really really hyper excited. Um, geology is cool though. Um, you know, I did, or I was married to a geologist, um, whenever yeah. you and I first met. Yes. And, uh, so she like, you know, obviously we talked about rocks and she kind of educated me on a lot of, you know, geological features and just understanding geology in general. And it's an, it's a fascinating, uh, topic. Uh, if you want to understand like how the earth was formed and these mountains and everything. I think every bike packer should take a geology course and specifically a geomorphology course. And what you might learn at the end of the day is when you, when you've had a bad day or if it's been a really rough day, or it's been a sandy, wet, muddy day, if you've been pushing your bike, 
what geology teaches you is how and why the landscapes that you've just spent your blood, sweat, and tears traveling across look the way they do. And it's just that little bit of extra understanding and depth. So of like depth of an appreciation maybe of the terrain you have just crossed and maybe what's what's gone into it. So it just I, connects you more to the land that you're riding yeah, through, you know? Yeah. So I have I have one for I have a Ooh. I have a proposal for you. Ooh. Um this this is an idea that I've been percolating for a while and with COVID everything's been kind of crazy, but um, we just did the East Texas showdown. We tested people. So now I'm like, that went really well. And now I'm like gearing up to do all these other, other things. But the one that I want to do and I've uh, is, is at Big Ben Ranch, either state or national park, either one of them. But what we're going to do is we're going to like at um, different points along the ride or at the end of the day, um, have people there like you, like if you wanted to come and stand in the solitario and give a presentation on like how the solitario was formed and like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I so would we'll be do, so into that. Right. I think people <laughs> will too. And it, and my whole idea is like gaining a greater appreciation. So we could have like you come, we could have a astronomer come and uh, could have a cultural person. Cult, there. That's the other yeah, one. Yeah. Cultural. Um, there's a lot of historicity there in that region. I mean, tons. So I Did think. Did you just say historicity as in from like Isaac Asimov's foundation series? I don't know. I think you did. <laughs> um, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a future historian because I didn't know that that wasn't a real thing. Wait, what? <laughs> Historicity. I think that was a term that I might be completely off on. Tell this. me. I'm curious. Um, I think. Did I make up a word? No, I think you, I think a word was put into our lexicon in the 60s or 70s, uh-huh. whenever Isaac Asimov started writing science fiction, and it's just been adopted into it. Um, historicity is like the the cultural feeling behind an object. So, you know, you or know a, a place, of, maybe a place, like, you know, like if an object has been the- used, used a lot. I, I might be completely off on this. This I don't is know. interesting. I, this I is when we need a Jamie, like on Joe you know, to like Google stuff for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm wondering now, I'm like, am I confusing two words together? I don't know. I don't. I Everybody's don't going to go Google it, though. We'll find oh, out. Oh, gosh. We'll find out. <laughs> hey. Now your future employer is like, historicity. Let's go back. Was she right or wrong? That'll be the. That'll be the <laughs> it's like, yeah, she's tough, but. Can she remember facts? Dun, oh, dun, dun. <laughs> I don't know. Is it, I, yeah, I, it's a fancy way of saying the history. Definitely. Yeah, it definitely fancies it up. It it definitely does, yeah. and it applies I try to be a fancy. little bit more. Yeah. Like. Well, I, I'm a I'm a high school dropout. Never went to college, so I try to use big words to you know negate see negate oh, that. Yeah. I was impressed. Yeah, I'm gonna drop some <laughs> stuff on you. <laughs> I was impressed. I'm like, oh man, that's a that's a term I haven't read in a while. But that's that's the whole idea is like experiential writing, like gain, like learning. I, I, it, it could be a lot of things. It doesn't have to be the same thing every time. You do it in different regions. You know, like it wouldn't just be in Big Bend. It would be like, okay, now we're gonna go here and we're gonna learn this. We're gonna go here. We're gonna learn about that. You know, and like. And I think I, people would be super into that. Yeah, really, I really into so that. Too. It's a type of like ecotourism, and you're just adding some educational 
educational um, aspects to it. I just value, I think I, I'm this way. You are, we're talking about it. It's like you ride through the places and whenever you can like understand how it was formed or how this river came through or how this rock pushed up or the people that developed it before you came or anything, you know, I mean, I'm I'm drawn to those things. It's uh, I want a greater appreciation and understanding for the natural world. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm a, I'm a high school dropout. I didn't I didn't go to school to get an education, but I'm insatiably curious. I, I I have an appetite for curiosity, and whenever I like hone in on something, I'm like I want to know everything, you know. And the natural world is big, so I got a lot of work to do. There are so many things to learn, and I I know for a fact people will be interested in, in a geologist just popping up. Um, this summer, somewhere on the Wild West tour, uh, when I went off route in Utah, I went to see some dinosaur tracks. Uh, it was just this this big uh, bench that had I think they estimated like ten thousand. 10,000 tracks. Um, I forget the name of it. Maybe I'll get that get that later. But I was out wandering around. I had dropped the bike uh, and I was was looking for tracks. And I found a bunch, but I was looking for these tail drag marks. Um, and I round a corner and all of a sudden I see some other people there and I could hear them talking. They're like, we don't know what we're looking for. It was one of those sites where there were no like interpretive signs or anything. It was BLM. It was just literally like you could Google it. And it's just like, dinosaur tracks and then no more information and they were they were disappointed and I pop out from behind a rock and I'm like <laughs> I can help you I'm a geologist let me show you where these tracks are and what to look for and you know it just took about five minutes of a little bit of coaching to show them what was what was natural in the way the rock was eroding and what was not what was some sort of imprint of a dinosaur track and then they started then they just you could see the moment where they saw them and it clicked and it connected and they're the ones who actually found the tail drag mark um so i was super proud of them i thought they were you know a success in field education yeah i've tried to find dinosaur tracks before and they're hard they're hard yeah they're not they're, they're hard it's a it's pattern recognition and unless you know what pattern you don't you know, you don't know what you're looking for. I didn't even know you could see a tail drag. That that's surprising. I didn't either, and I I had left that morning from oh, it was outside of Escalante, Utah, and I had set out on a route. I'm like I'm gonna go see those dinosaur tracks, and then I'm gonna you know continue on my way back to get back finally on the Western Wilds route. Um, and I got totally waylaid that day by those dinosaur tracks, and ended up. <laughs> Ended up, uh, you know, heading just back to Escalante and calling it a loop day. <laughs> was this, was that on your uh, tour or was that a separate trip? It was on my tour. It was on okay. my tour. Do you know how the Solitario was formed? <sighs> I do. So I know there's a, there's a lot of really big structural features out at Big Bend. Um, and Big Bend Ranch State Park is big, diff, pretty different than Big Bend National Park. And I am not familiar with it. Yes. <laughs> so, so that's exciting. So that's exciting for me to go to go learn. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I really want I really want to do this. Maybe this can be your new job. We'll develop this program. I think I have. I can guess. I can make two guesses. Okay, go. It's either a meteor impact crater or a salt dome. Uh, it's where North and South America collided, where the two land masses came together, 
and that's where like all I don't I don't know you you like look it up, but I just read the thing on the sign, ah. you know, like the dummy down version. <laughs> it's like the pamphlet. It's like three sentences long. It's like North and South America collided here. I'm like sweet, sweet, sweet. <laughs> no, but you, you there's obviously there that's um and you I know, guess I should you, preface I don't know what the solitario is. Oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been to Big Bend or no? I've I've done one trip to Big Bend and it was a it was a very quick very quick trip for a New Year's um New Year's kind of celebration in the desert and we did go do a little bit of mountain biking but I was in a I was in a little bit of a different place and I hadn't I hadn't done any research or planning um planning yeah. prior to the trip so oh. Yeah. I was just taking, I was experiencing it. Yeah. Um, so, well, let me tell you then, there's um, there's a hundred mile route. This one's published on bikepacking.com too. There's two, this one's in the state park and it's called, oh, it's called The Other Side of Nowhere. And uh, it, so the Solitario is a six mile dome um, on the north end of this loop, essentially. And so you literally like ride your bike up and it's kind of like a crater. It looks like a big meteor hit, but you ride up into the Solitario and then down into it. And the diversity of geology there is insane. Like all of the rocks on the ground are different shapes, sizes, colors, everything, you know, the, 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 the rock facing around you is all like diverse and, and interesting and it's just you could like i don't know you could stand in one place and like look down at the ground for like an hour and not see everything you know oh that it's sounds like, fascinating it's it it's it's one of the best places in the world and so anyway that but there's a bike route i mean it's 100 ah. miles that's that's the whole idea is like that's what i want to do is is ride people through that terrain and like learn about it my buddy uh my best friend ryan he uh, was a park ranger there at Big Bend. He and his wife lived out there. So then bring him to teach some of like, he knows all about the um, the plants and animal life. He's a biologist, a wildlife biologist. Um, so yeah, I think we could do something kind of fun with that. I think people would be really into it. Yeah. I, I really do. I think yeah. uh, there's enough interest out there. We'll and... start studying. <laughs> <laughs> Better get I'm, a book on Big Ben. <laughs> I am. I'm on it. I'll, I'll. I'll be caught up and learned up in no time. How does that work? I mean, essentially, like you have a, a fundamental understanding of geology, and then it would just be applying that to the region or whatever, kind of. Yeah, doing some basic, just doing a little bit more basic research, um, understanding kind of the. You know, you start. You always start small. Um, actually, no, you start big with what. What are the big? What are the big concepts? Um, you know, the stuff that you read on interpretive signs. So you kind of learn, like, what age are the rocks? What, you know, what am I looking at? Is this a landscape? Um, formed mainly by, you know, what, what type of rock? Or is it igneous? Is it, is it igneous province, sedimentary? Are we looking at a big metamorphic zone? And then kind of the, the processes around what shaped the, uh, the surface. So we call that geomorphology and the shape of the, like the shape of the landscape. Um, so if we're in a, you know, is it an active fault zone or something? So are we actively uplifting mountains like the San Bernardinos in Southern California? So everything's super steep or are we, you know, in a much more gentle, um, gentle seismic area where we don't have a lot of, a lot of movement somewhere like the Appalachians or, you know, central, or, you know, the center of the United States and the Midcon. So 
Um, and you kind of, I like to just pick a feature and then dig, dig really far into that one feature and then just branch out from there. So maybe there's, you know, like you said, this solitario feature. I would start there and then just use that as my hub and branch out and then just explore all the little rabbit holes. Um, yeah. yeah. There's a lot to explore there. I have a geological map on my wall at home, actually. It's uh, mostly, I can't read it, uh, <laughs> but if you ever visit, um, you can maybe read it for me. But um, it's just really pretty. It's a huge map and it has all these like different colors indicating different types different of rock, rocks. I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I've, yeah. I've, when I've seen the cross sections across the Big Bend area, they are very different depending on where you where you are looking. So I know that the, the geology is quite diverse. Yep. Um, I just well, never have had the opportunity to study it in depth. Yeah. Well, there's a man. I mean, like I said, was saying the natural world is big. So <laughs> it's like people will be like, oh, you haven't been there yet? You haven't done that? I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> shit I haven't done, man. Like I'm trying, but God, I, the world is big. I feel the same way. You, uh, It's like instead of focusing on where people haven't been, ask them where they have. Yeah. <laughs> 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 They're going to have a lot more to say. Uh, <laughs> you're going to take away more from that interaction <laughs> than yeah. talking about a place they should go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm kind of in the uh, business where people are going to share their opinion with me. So I think, it, but I totally get with what you're saying. Like if you're just talking to someone, be like, well, you haven't seen that movie. It's like, oh, wait, what is your favorite movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's, a, it's a get a deeper connection with people for sure well, let's wrap up your san gabriel trip because oh, i yeah. i want to talk about obviously the east texan showdown because you were the slowest and <laughs> that is hard to do and <laughs> i appreciate your humor uh, or your <laughs> yeah so you're getting uh, mine <laughs> i um so i set out on the the socal ramble and the san gabriels and san bernardino i'm sorry to uh, real quick, what was what did bikepacking.com rate this uh, route as, and what did they recommend like the days to do it? Do you remember? No, I do not know. Okay. I don't know if I looked at a rating. You're, you're, I probably did. If I, I, I if I saw it, I probably just didn't care. Um, huh. <laughs> to be honest, you're fascinating. Like I have a strong confidence in my ability of understanding that particular terrain. Um, and the hazards. Okay. So I would have put my own experience in those mountains first okay. in, in a rating. So, so you have a high level of familiarity. Yes. Right. So I, I really just didn't care what other people had to say <laughs> okay. about it okay. <laughs> for, so for a difficulty because I didn't want to hear about I was starting to think that, well, let's say you go into an area you completely don't know. Would you do more research? <laughs> Um, or do you, do you kind of like the adventurous, like, you know, I'll get a general thing and then go like, I do like the adventurous. Yeah. So this summer when I did the wild or the Western wilds route, I did follow, you know, I followed the route and, you know, used the app and I was looking at the, the given information for most of my planning. Um, and by the time I got to Utah, I was, you know, more familiar with that area. And I knew that there were things that were off, way off route that I was more interested in going to see. And I just, I, I didn't do much planning. I did it all on the fly. And I just went off and did my own thing. And actually, I, I specifically, or I had a really wonderful moment where I was listening to this podcast and it was the episode with Jessica Alexander and 
I think you had asked her a very similar question about packing, like planning and packing and prepping. And I had been in the middle of pushing my bike up a cobble road for like an hour and a half. And I just like had a hysterical laugh and breakdown. And I'm like, yeah, this is why people, this is why people do a little bit more research about, <laughs> about what they're getting into. It's <laughs> oh, so like, yeah, I can see how this would be unappealing to some people. They might not have wanted to come this way. <laughs> what was your takeaway though? Do you, you're just like, man, this is what I signed up for. Yeah, I knew I I knew what I was getting into uh, for that particular location. So I think I just have a high tolerance for for pushing my bike up things. Um, I've always had that approach with mountain biking in general. It's like you can always walk it. Yeah. So I don't I don't really mind, and that's sometimes the only way you can go. It's the only way forward. You can't just if you can't ride it, you can't ride it. There's no use bitching about it. You just got to walk. <laughs> well, you, I mean, when I met you, do you remember the first time we met? Yeah, I remember I showed up almost, it was to, what is it called? The, the burning, burning hour, six hour burning uh, race. It was at Warda. It was a, it was yeah. a six hour race at Warda. Burning saddle. It's burning saddle. Yeah, six hour burning saddle. Yeah, six hour race. And I showed up late and didn't know where to camp or something. And I ended up camping right outside your trailer. You guys were so nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. I think we were some of the first people like you met. Or yeah. didn't you like you just moved to Austin? I, yeah, like, I think I had that like, I, week or something. <laughs> it was it was either that week or like the previous week. So yeah. I I didn't know anyone. It was pretty I, wild. So through happenstance, <sighs> met you right when you moved to Austin when we were both kind of into endurance racing. Yeah, and people that listen to the podcast like that. That's how I kind of got into bike packing because I learned about bike packing. I I was gravitating more towards liking the longer distances. And then I, I learned about bikepacking. I was like, oh, snap. <laughs> what about you? Because the interesting thing is we've both, uh, I mean, we've known of each other and kind of, but like we haven't, um, you know, hung out a whole lot or anything to where like we've been like influencing. It's like, yeah, or, you know what I'm saying? It's like Perif we've just, it's the we've just like, different circles. <laughs> yeah, we've just naturally gravitated in the same uh, direction to like bikepacking yeah. and gravel riding and stuff like that. So how did that transition happen for you? I started gravel. It came from two areas. Um, I started gravel riding back in Oklahoma uh, when I lived there, and that was pretty in, like, much out of necessity. Out of necessity, I had. I like to say I could have. You know, I had a mile of road, and then I had all of Oklahoma, Kansas, Colorado. If I even wanted it, I could have just. I could have. You know, rode to Denver on gravel roads. I could have just left and righted it the whole way there um, from my my location in Oklahoma City, which I really, really loved. That was um, that was quite a way to explore the place. And that was back oh, in right. like 2011, 2013, something like that. And there were some state parks um, that were, you know, about an hour's drive, maybe 60 miles. And I'm like, I could link these up. I could, I could just ride there. And I don't know if this was before or after I had seen the the documentary Ride the Divide. And I meant, I remember mentioning to some people like, hey, what about if we just like ride our bikes to um, Romanoe State Park? And I just, I got the deadpan, like, you're, cr you, you want to do what? <laughs> <laughs> you're crazy. Uh, so honestly, you I said this to cycling friends. Yeah, I said this to cycling friends and it was, it fell on uh, some flat ears. <laughs> <laughs> And so I didn't like, oh, okay, 
whatever. Like I like I wasn't inter- at that point. I wasn't interested in doing it alone, and I was super into cross country racing. So, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll just go ride. You know, I'll, I'll ride with friends for the weekend, and we'll yeah. you know bang out some fast miles, and uh, you know, continue just continue down that path. And then you know later, I started doing more of the really long endurance rides. I started 24 hour racing, six hour racing, 12 hour, you name it. Um, either as you know solo or team parts of teams. And I realized I was, I like, I like the long rides. I'm, I'm kind of good at it. I'm like, damn, where can this, where can this go next? What can I, what can I do next uh, as an adventure? And then I kind of came back to bikepacking um, after I, you know, saw some friends doing that. I'm like, hey, wait, I wanted to do that a while ago, but yeah. maybe I can find some other people to go do it with now. Right. And I just kind of fell into it, fell into it that way. My very first trip uh, was a six day trip in Pennsylvania. When was, what year? Uh, that would have been 2020. Okay. So, so pretty soon. Yeah. Pretty recent. I did my first, I did my first trip and wow. I biked from Pittsburgh to Washington, DC and about halfway back to Pittsburgh. On the rails to trail? On the rails to trail. That's awesome. On the Those are great. Oh my God. I recommend that trip to anyone I who is interested it so in it. I want to do it with the kids, you know? Yes. It is. It's easy. It's flat. It's beautiful. Oh, and the yeah, services, yeah. there's water. Mm-hmm. Um, Along the CNO Canal Path, there's campsites every 20 miles. Uh, you don't have to like make a reservation. There's plenty of room for multiple people to show up. It's it's logistically really easy. What's hard about it is that it's humid and you're wet and you can get sandy, so it might not be the most comfortable. I think I enjoy bikepacking in the desert a little bit more because it's. I don't like being sweaty and sandy <laughs> and wet <laughs> and soggy for six days. Um, that trip ended up, uh, I, my dad had to come pick me up because I had uh, I had been wet for too long. And uh, it was the tail end of a hurricane had been coming through. Oh so it was just, it was downpouring. And at this point I realized like, hey, I'm not going to make it to work tomorrow. I need to be come picked up. <laughs> Did you have PTSD at the beginning of the East Texas showdown when it was raining? <laughs> Like, oh no. You know, a little bit because I'm like, oh, this is going to hurt. <laughs> this is going to feel really disgusting to put those wet clothes on tomorrow because yeah. they knew they weren't going to dry overnight anywhere, no matter where I camped. So, no. because oh, it's humid. Little. I mean, yeah. it's, it's even if it was sunny, it would still be humid and they wouldn't dry out. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know if we want to jump into the East Texas showdown, but I have some. We, what else? Did, what else? So we, I think we were still talking about my my Southern California. Yeah, <laughs> my Southern California tour. <laughs> I'm not sure that was it. It feels like so long ago since I've I've done quite a bit since then. Um, I know you. I, it is kind of hard to keep up with. I'm. That's why I'm like, no, 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 no. It's cool. It's like, man, you uh, you did a lot in a very short amount of time. Because if you did that Pennsylvania, that was a Pennsylvania trip in 2020. Yes. Yeah, and since then. You've I've done. I've done about four thousand miles of bike packing this year. Whoa! Yeah. Thank you for making that easy on me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know there was going to be math. <laughs> I didn't realize it until I added. I started adding it up and realized the East Texas Showdown would it, that put me past that four thousand. I know what mark. I was going to ask you. Did you have any camping experience going into this? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have had a lot of camping experience. My family was super into camping. I grew up with two older brothers and Boy Scouts. Right. Um, so we Where'd were you just. Grow up? I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I love the forest. Forests are my feel good place. And 
you know, we were, you know, as a vacation or as family vacations, we're always, let's go backpacking somewhere or let's go camping. Let's do something outside. So I grew up with that just kind of, that was knowledge that was pushed on to me from a very young age. And I think that definitely plays a role in my confidence in, you know, being a solo female traveler in the woods. Like I, if I you feel, just feel com- like, yeah, I know how to take care of myself. Even if I really don't, I know how to pretend. <laughs> <laughs> and having a comfortability being outside in the woods by yourself helps. Like at the East Texas showdown, um, there was a guy there and he, he said I could talk. I don't even remember his name right now, but uh, he was afraid of the dark. And he told me about it before, uh, like Thursday night, he was, I was like, man, how you feeling today? He's like, well, I'm afraid of the dark. And like, he's just straight up told me, I'm like, well, I've known plenty of people that are afraid of the dark. And he was like, I know there's nothing out there that could get me. I just got to like talk myself through it. But I mean, he was like facing that, that fear, wow. you know, like going out there. And did so, he I mean, overcome that? Did he ride at night? He did. He did. That yeah. Awesome. Yeah. He finished. Yeah. Shout out, man. That is I mean, that, awesome. But those are real fears that people have, whether it be like from people or from animals, bugs, snakes. I mean, all the little, you know, chigger. I mean, there's yeah. lots of like little stuff, you know, yeah. and there's, there's accident, accidents that could happen when you're alone. I mean, there, you know, there's. It's really easy to mess up in the dark. Yeah. It's. You know, and a lot world. of people wrecked in the dark at the race. I mean, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because oh, those uh, up, up on the northern part of it, uh, I don't know if you rode it during the day or night, but wherever it's really hilly, at the bottom of those hills, a lot of times it's sandy. And so they would be going fast, but they couldn't see. And so, but it, everybody said they had a safe landing, you know, in the nice <laughs> sands. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, wow. I, I had no idea there were people there who didn't know. Um, or who, who were afraid of riding in the dark or just yeah. had never done it before. It's a different experience. You know, yeah. you think about it, you know, you have this one beam of light or, even, you know, even if you have several sources, your view of the world has just narrowed down by, you know, however many degrees and you can only see, you know, a couple hundred feet ahead of you and depending on how bright you're riding your lights and, you know, you don't can't tell what's making that noise off to the left or what might be shining shining its eyes looking back at you it can be very can be very disturbing <laughs> especially when you don't see something yeah. or when when you hear something and can't see it or just so we were talked about this last night i interviewed um nick and uh kyle and uh, we were talking about how the importance of having a headlamp so you can look at uh, if you hear a noise, actually, like look and see what it is, but um, or also look through a turn, or look through a turn, or whatever. Also, yeah, it, it your world becomes very small. Yes, you your world goes, and then like it'll get big again if you keep riding, and then it gets small. It's a very interesting experience because you're like, you don't know how fast you know you don't know how long the downhill is going to be or the uphill is going to be. You know, you just don't know. You don't know what to expect. So, just live in the moment, one hundred percent. Live in the moment and try to remember what predators are in this area. (laughs) (laughs) And try to believe that you're the biggest, baddest one. Yeah. And you know what? Most of the time you are. (laughs) Most of the time you are. (laughs) You really are. (laughs) Especially in Texas, man. There's really not a lot you have to worry about in in Texas. Yeah. It's, yeah. We don't have bears. We don't have cougars. I mean, foxes aren't going to do, I mean, coyotes, they're not going to do anything. Yeah, but as as far as I could tell, there were no toddlers out you know, riding their bike in the middle of the night at the showdown. So even no one even, brought their baby. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever hear the story about the dingo ate my baby? 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it made me think of. I listened to a whole podcast on that. Oh, wow. What a wild story. I guess to wrap up Southern California, I kind of ironed out ironed out all the kinks and kind of what I needed to be mentally for mental toughness. And then I could go kind of full bore. Um, I knew what to plan for, for a much longer route and what was kind of appropriate for my riding style and what I was looking to get out of the Western Wilds route, which, you know, how, how many days to plan for um, it to keep it fun because I didn't want to do something like that for I wasn't trying to finish it in a specific amount of time. I wasn't trying to set a record. I, I wanted to experience it, you know, ride with my head up instead of my head down, um, worried about the time and like waypoints and, you know, when am I going to make that? Or, you know, I need to be, need to be here so I can hit this day goal. That's my favorite way to, way to ride. My, oh, hands down. Yeah. Mine too. It's, it, I get so much more out of the experience. Um, but again, right now my perspective is that I don't have a job, so I'm not on a I'm not on a timeline to get back to the real world. So I am very grateful that I, you know, I can ride the way I prefer to ride right now. It's a nice mating call. <laughs> so yeah, they were hanging around earlier. <laughs> I was hoping he wouldn't come. Oh, back. it's a sea, it's like a some kind of goal. Like wow. That's fun. <laughs> Okay, so you wanted me to transition to the East Texas Showdown, or? Uh, well, I mean, is there anything else to hit on? I mean, I, it's hard to like wrap that. You know, I I run into this issue all the time on the podcast. Like, how do you wrap up like, well, you know, four thousand miles? So, it is hard because, you know, everyone leaves, uh, you know, an experience like that or a set of experiences with things that, you know, they didn't achieve um there's always things left on the table we always i feel like a society we're always trying to like you know people who are driven to bike pack probably are pretty driven in other areas of their life too where they want to get more done um so just you know focusing on what you did do and it's like i saw i met a lot of really amazing people amazing business owners all over the west i made some lasting friendships um just trying to focus on really what you did do instead of what you didn't and so would you do it again? Yes. <laughs> Hands down. I would do, I think I would do a few things differently. Um, maybe take a little, take a little less items. I, I had a few luxury <laughs> items. I had, I had, a, I had too many shirts. I had three shirts and I would only take one. You're like, who are you dressing up for? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> the rock crawlers? Yeah, yeah. That's um, funny. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'll sound like a broken record on the podcast, but I mean, it, it, it's if you learn from anything, any shortcoming, whether it's failure or whatever, it's just a learning experience. And so it's it's not ever a negative thing because it just means that next time you're going to be more prepared, more capable, exactly. more ready, all those things. Exactly, exactly. It's this weird combination of turning off like this data, you know, data-driven mind that we all have um, to just be an experiential mind yeah. and then, you know, flip back to that data, data mind at the end to figure out, okay, how can I do it better? <laughs> In that vein, I, I think, um, I mean, I, everyone is different, but for me, I find that, you know, turning off the technology, you know, other than like a line that you're following or whatever, but, um, to turn off that data mind and get it more into like an adventure mind, if you're, you know, We'll talk about racing in a second, but if you're just out touring and enjoying the experience, uh, that's a that's a really good way to and like turn off the music and stuff. Oh, I love the music. 
<laughs> I I listen to music and I listen to podcasts. I listen to audiobooks. Yep. Um, but I also turn all that off and I'll just ride, you know, just listening and just being in the moment. I, I mean, you know, if you're on a long bike tour, it can get boring. It can get lonely. Those are also realities that, you know, yes. you're alone. You're alone. So you're struggling. You're hurting. You're hungry. Yeah. You might be thirsty and you don't have enough I want to throw water. on a Bikes for Death podcast and... <laughs> Feel like you're you got some company. Yeah, yeah. What do you so? What do you listen to on on bike tours? I have that's always interesting. Oh, I have a playlist of basically like my favorite, just my favorite songs that I you know started liking on Spotify. So it's all over the place. Anything from like pirate sea shanties to what I that's what I was listening to when I finished the East Texas pod or the East Texas Showdown, um, or like. EDM dance music or like this really soulful jazz, um, just kind of like music that moves me um, emotionally and physically to, you know, push through some hard spots. It definitely, definitely helps me and I encourage everyone to kind of like have a playlist they can, if they're feeling, feeling down, just music can change your mood and the way your mind works. Yeah. So it, it could just be that little extra kick you need to push through something sometimes and then you're fine. Rage Against the Machine. Oh, if yes. you if you need like the ultimate jolt, if you are like <laughs> about to fall asleep at 4 a.m. and you just need to make it five more miles, I, Rage Against the Machine. I will put some rage on my on my uh, playlist. I my my metal music is preferred metal music is Slipknot. <laughs> Okay. I don't know. I know of them, but I'd have to, I'm it's, sure it'll work just it, the same. It's, it's loud. It's, it's just, it's more loud music. I can see Beastie Boys being yeah, good. Yeah, Beastie Boys would be, Beastie Boys would be wonderful. Yeah. No, I'm all about, listen, there's different time, different times in different places, you know, and if you're on your bike for 14 days, you're going to be in different head spaces and want to have different experiences throughout. Exactly. Throughout that whole, that whole time. What podcast do you listen to? You listen to this podcast. I listened to this. I listened to this podcast while I was bikepacking. I found some like I thought that was some sort of like cool meta relationship. It was like a a nice spiral to be bikepacking and then listen to other people talk about their bikepacking experiences. And yeah, it definitely helped me if I was feeling low or just wasn't feeling like I was. You know, if it wasn't just the best day possible. Um, to kind of push through, push through those hard spots or if I'm walking or it's got really sandy or hot, just hearing other, hearing how other people kind of overcame more specific, like, you know, what, what their hardships were and how they, how they did it. I just found it very inspiring because you have really interesting people on this podcast. Well, thank you. I, yeah. I really appreciate that. <laughs> it's so weird because I, I just put a po- podcast out there and I know it's well received, but I don't like really, um, I don't get to hear or I get don't get to know how people are using it. Like, are they listening to it at work? Are they listening to it on a bike ride? Are they, you know, using it as an inspirational tool during a race or a tour? So that, like, you know, my hope is that it it is a source of inspiration for people that, that will motivate them to either go and do or while they're doing. But, I, I mean, that's, like, best-case scenario. And so the <laughs> fact that, you know, it, it, it served um, that purpose for you while you were riding your bike, uh, I mean, it warms my heart because that's, like, 100%. If I, there was a mission statement or, like, a number one goal, that would be it, you know. So that's really cool. Yeah. What What are, were some that, like, stood out to you? Do you remember? <sighs> the, uh, Sarah Swallow. 
She's good. For sure. Yeah. I was hearing her describe her strategy for the Tour Divide um, this year uh, and just how she just had a plan and executed it. Uh, and she stuck to her plan and rode her race and it worked out for her and worked out. She That's how she achieved her goal. Um, Seth uh, from Stillwater, Dr. Seth Wood, because mm. I, I met him when he was right after he recovered, I think when he first started riding gravel it after he had gotten that bike from um, District Bicycles. And I actually think I had literally been riding along the side of the highway without my helmet on, and I stopped to put my helmet on, um, helmet on again, and, you know, told, promised myself that I'd wear the helmet if I was on a road. Because by that point, I had ditched it, and it was it sat on the edge of my handlebars as a um, container for extra Gatorade bottles or water <laughs> bottles that I needed, or just, like, you know, snack items that I bought on a whim that didn't really fit or I didn't want to get crushed. Um, so that, that was pretty impactful as a reminder, like, oh my gosh, you know, at any moment, someone else, you know, some, my head, is, my, my life and body can be in someone else's control without really me knowing. So yeah. that was really impactful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On me too. That one impacted a lot of people. Um, I really appreciate it. It's an amazing recovery God, story. It's an amazing. It's an it's inspirational. A, it's an amazing story. And then also like, uh, just about also the cycling community and how they like adopted him. And, yeah. uh, I don't know. It's, yeah. It's a, the whole, the whole <laughs> thing is I, it's one of the, I can't wait to go back. That whole uh, crew up there is just a, there's oh, something in the water and still water. Gosh, I miss those people. I, 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 so when I, I lived in Oklahoma and, uh, Oklahoma city and we started riding gravel and still water and I met the best people. It's a particularly like, cohesive group they got yeah. a lot of really good energy energy going on and i'll never forget the the first time i heard my friend cleo she was talking about this land run race she did and i'm like that sounds so cool <laughs> and we're like we gotta do that next year um and just seeing that that whole culture build and grow was just it was really cool i was, I was pretty sad to leave I, I left a lot of really good yeah. people in Oklahoma city and Oklahoma when I came down to Austin. Um, yeah, you're, yeah, you keep moving. You gotta, I'm on the road. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to put down some roots somewhere. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> yeah. No idea where yet, huh? Gotta, no we gotta idea. wait for that J O B. No idea where. Well, let me go. Let me, let, let's jump into the East Texas showdown because that that's the most recent. And, uh, I think I, I have a lot to write. I have a lot to say about my my Western Wilds tour, but I don't know if we have time to to really go into it. Um, and honestly, uh, I'm still process. I'm, I'm still processing some of that trip. So. Yeah. Well, why did you sign up for the East Texas Showdown? I wanted to race. I missed going fast. Fast is fun. I'm a firm believer in that. And like the the faster the faster you can accomplish something sometimes, you have more fun for the after party. Mm -hmm. So I really <laughs> wanted to go. I'm like, I have all this great fitness. This is going to be great. I'm going to like, this won't be, no, I didn't, I didn't think it wouldn't be hard, but I thought it would be really, really achievable. And I right. could finish in like a really good state to, you know, be able to hang out and have some, have some beers and meet, meet some other people and, um, yeah. just, you know, schmooze around a little bit because I had been, I've been isolated all summer. I haven't, <laughs> I've been away from my communities. And so I had this aha moment, um, earlier in like August or July where I'm like, man, I miss 
the communities that I'm a part of. I miss those interactions and talking about shared interest and having historicity with people. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I was make I was meeting a lot of people, but I kinda I was sick of explaining or, you know, have let's see, how do I describe this? I, I was sick of explaining myself for the being a for meeting people for the first time right. consistently. I wanted to have, you know, lasting relationships. Oh, that's Katie. She's this person. Yeah. Like they know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I wanted to, I wanted to be recognized. Um, yeah. It just, it, you know, it means a lot when you walk into a place and you see people and you know people and they know who you are and you know who they are and you have some shared experiences. And then it just, you get more shared experiences. So it's this wonderful cycle. Um, I now understand why people don't leave their hometown. And I, I honestly, I never did understand that before the summer because I'm like, there's so many places to go see. Yeah. I literally could not connect with that. And now I can. Um, and I think that's a huge point of growth for me. Yeah. You scratched that itch. Now, you know, now I know. And now I, I scratched it enough that I realized, <laughs> I realized <laughs> it bleeds what a I little. Was, yeah, it bleeds <laughs> a little. And I wasn't realizing what I was really leaving behind. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's, that's a huge. Sometimes lessons are hard for me to learn. <laughs> like that i gotta i gotta leave it pretty hard to uh see what i'm missing <laughs> you know it's funny i i as you're talking i'm picturing myself this is exactly the way i operate like i always have to find out like the hard way it, it seems yeah i kind of yeah i definitely i feel like i learned it a little or, bit of the hard way i like experiential learning like i want to <laughs> learn it for myself i'm like i don't know yeah it I, I know one. that yeah but you really learn it <laughs> yeah you gotta you don't I, I don't learn it until i feel it <laughs> yeah 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 i'm I, man i i relate to that so much yeah so i wanted to go to the east texas showdown i'm like i know what that terrain is like um i visited that area before so it was a location in the United States where I was very comfortable putting my head down and concentrating on the time and the effort and the pace to push myself really hard and not feel like I was leaving other experiences on the table. I could go back and, you know, visit sites or if there was something interesting to see along the side of the road or historical sites, I could go back. It was close enough or I didn't feel like it was a, a once in a lifetime location. Yeah. I don't want to just ride past things at this point in my life. I want to, you know, if I'm going to be there and I'm only going to be there once, I better stop and look and take, <laughs> take a picture or, you know, take, take in the scenery or talk to the people there, make some, make some friends. Um, so I felt like it was the East Texas was race was a, perfect example of a time where I could go share it with people that I knew. I, you know, was familiar with the terrain and I could just try, try as hard as I could. Fortunately, I didn't really execute <laughs> the way I had planned. <laughs> um, and that was mostly due to my own, my own fault for running, running around a little bit too much earlier that week and traveling a little bit too much. I had been in Denver at a conference earlier that week and had some I had some intestinal issues that stuck with me. And this is now the third race that I have uh, messed up because I was sick earlier in the week and didn't listen to my body <laughs> say, uh, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. So I think I finally learned that lesson. Like I said, it take, sometimes it takes, takes a while. We've got to learn the hard way. Yeah. 
Um, the stomach will take you out. Dude, it's stomach. It, especially, yeah. You and don't it, eat. You can't ride hard. <laughs> yeah, endurance, endurance efforts whenever you can't take in food or the food's going out is like the calorie, you know, if you can't keep calories in. Yeah. yeah. Makes not it to harder. Mention, leaning over on a bike is like, it, it does not help your stomach in any kind of like acid bile heartburn situation that's coming uh, up into your mouth. So, so how are you? You were feeling not great from the very get go. Yes, I was not. I was not feeling great, and I was underslept. Under I was overtired, underslept, and uh, honestly hadn't had enough time since I when I got back to Austin from Denver to really put my bike together. I was doing it at the venue. Yeah, and you know I. I I realized it was going to be raining for the race um, the day, like that that day, because yeah. I had looked at the weather like seven days prior. And I'm like, all right, I can't focus. Like I have to focus on something else completely now. And I, I couldn't even think, I couldn't think about the race until like I got back because um, it was just, it was doing something, doing something else in Denver. And I got there. I'm like, okay, this is completely different than everything I had planned for <laughs> beforehand. So... I had everything I needed in the car, um, and I went with, like, a super minimal pack kit, which was fine. I just needed to figure out what um – you know, that, that temperature was perfect, honestly, mm, Yeah, where we, where we started off in the rain and it was still warm enough. You didn't need to, you weren't getting cold or hypothermic. Right. Um, so that was, that was kind of my worry. It's like, is that cold? Am I going to be hypothermic? Am I going to be cold? Um, cause I've been cold at races before in the rain and gotten hypothermia and that has been absolutely no fun. I've it had to be. That was the one thing I was grateful for was it can be cold or wet, but not cold and wet. Yes. And so luckily it got up to like in the 80s yeah. um, that day and never got below. Uh, it was still in the 60s like at night. So it was like never yeah. too hot, never too cold. It was just a lot of rain. <laughs> and during the day, like it wasn't it wasn't raining at night, which was which was good. I think that would have that would have changed the story a little bit. Yeah. Honestly, I could think of a lot of ways where that first day could have been you know, I don't even call it a bad day. It was uncomfortable, but I can think of a lot of ways it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> like it, we could have gotten super gnarly, um, with sticky mud and pushing for like 10 miles and nasty, nasty conditions, cold conditions, getting cold. And yeah. everybody seemed to bear the first day totally fine. Um, I think it would, if it kept going on to a second and a third day, I think that would have changed things. But the I, fact yeah, that by so the too. end of day one, there was a sunset, yes. there were stars. It was beautiful yeah. later that day. Yeah. And so the morale, my morale as the race director, I was like, finally. Yeah. I'm like, because <laughs> uh, my heart was out there with y'all, obviously. I just yeah. felt so bad. I, you know, I've said this before, but it's like. baby. <laughs> Well, it's like if if uh, if you're the manager and you ask your employees to clean the restroom, you should also be willing to clean the restroom, right? It's like if if you're asking people to go ride that, I should be out there riding it with you. But instead, I'm like just directing. <laughs> hey, we cho- we chose we chose yeah. to be there. Um, and that's what it ultimately comes down Any, to. Is you didn't force us to do that. Yeah, we, and we chose. I appreciate that perspective, and that's one that everybody took, and nobody blamed me, which I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> no one punched me. Which That's I, good. That yeah. would have been extremely inappropriate. <laughs> I think no. people would have stood up for you. <laughs> I only got only got hugs. But you can understand. I obviously like felt sympathetic 
for the conditions, but I mean, not much we can do about it. Uh, like, were you able to stay mentally positive through day one, even like not feeling good? Any thoughts of like not, not starting or any, anything like that? My only thought was that I might not be ready at eight o'clock. <laughs> to go <laughs> because it was raining that morning. It had been raining. Um, you know, it started raining at like 3 a.m. And I had been, you know, I was sleeping in my car in the back of my back of my truck. And I was like, okay, it's really loud. So I was basically up at three and then it rained on and off and just trying to get things onto the bike without getting them wet. That was a little bit of a struggle. And I kept on waiting, like it might stop in like five minutes or you go in and check the radar. It's like, it's almost over. And like, I'd rather pack dry things quickly than wet things like yeah. soggily. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I carried a pair of rain pants that were soaked through from like the start that I never wore. It was just like, you know, a pound of extra weight with all sure. the water in them and they never dried. I'm like, well, that was pointless. Yeah. So it, I never thought of not starting. I just thought that, you know, I might not be quite ready with everyone else. And that was okay. Cause by that point I knew I'm like, I'm really t like, I had a, a lot of time when it was raining and like, I had, I'm not prepared like physically for this right now. My body is not, is, is saying no. And I'm going to say, eh, let's yeah, try maybe. it anyway. <laughs> We're going to, we're going to, we're going to try this. You may have heard me say this on podcasts before, but you know, sometimes in endurance sports, you just have to like say, no, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And you know, sometimes your body will agree with you and, and keep going. And sometimes your body will reject, but there's only one way to find out. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, push through. gotta just go. And I think, I think everyone should, you know, be doing experiences or activities that really push their limits. You can do so much more than you think you can. Um, you know, three years ago, I would have said that I couldn't have done what, you know, these Texas showdown feeling the way I did. I would have turned around or something or quit or, you know, when I, you know, when the bike started failing too with the body, um, you know, just stopping and not pushing through. So yeah. it's amazing what we can accomplish. Um, it really is. Did you have any bike failures? Uh, yeah. To quote, the mechanic <laughs> that I took it to, shit's fucked. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, the calipers, I think on my, my uh, front brakes are, are not working, not retracting from the, the, um, from they're, they're, they're just not retracting. So they're kind of stuck in this on position. Nice. And then I think new cables, I need a new chain ring, new bottom bracket. My rear hub is, uh, in need of a rebuild now is super loose. Um, this your Terlingua? Yeah. Who do you take it to? <laughs> I take it to Melajani's okay. downtown. I'm I'm just I'm used to going there, and I really like. I've always had really good service and yeah. friendly faces there too. Uh, yeah. And I used to work downtown, so it was really convenient to. Um, if I had drove to work that day, I could bring the bike. And often I would ride the broken bike and drop it off in the morning at 7 a.m. because they were open that early. Go to work and pick it up at lunch or later that day when I was heading That's home. Cool. So. Um, I've, I've always had just wonderful experiences there. And they have a great coffee shop. I was I was joking with some other racers that I should be getting some kind of cut from all this <laughs> um, extra bike repair that's going up. Oh, uh, my bike shop in Oklahoma City had a land run special a couple years going oh, yeah. on in a row because it was, you know, similar conditions. Yeah. It's just like, yep, yep, you're going to, every bike needed the same set of new brakes, new pads. Yeah. Did you um, have brakes throughout the race? I had rear brakes. So I was able to, to get those working again. Um, 
I think they just needed some, they just needed some clean out and some constant adjustment. I, I probably stopped 30 times that first day to try to get my front brakes for my, my front brakes and rear brakes, um, you know, actually working because I kept on rubbing down. Um, yeah. And then I realized the, the calipers just weren't retracting. So... Yeah, we all learned a lot about brake pads and water and sand. Yeah, it's not a good combo. <laughs> <laughs> um, my future for for any races that are you know, if you have the opportunity to you know change you know equipment on your bike before a rainy race, I would say metallic brake pads have the best durability. Oh, really? I think so. Okay, that, pro tip. I think that's my. I think that's Mechan- what I'm going to try to do now. They might be super loud, but they're going to work. Yeah, <laughs> for hey, maybe a little bit longer. And the cars will see you. Yeah. It won't be a bad thing <laughs> because if you're coming to an intersection, you want them to see you anyway. So might as well make some noise. Let them know yeah, you're there. Yeah. Coming into Subway hot. <laughs> <laughs> want to get that meatball sub. So where did you sleep on night one? I slept at the uh, Salmon Lake Campground. I made it. I'm not sure what time I made it there. Um, it was after dark, but not too far after dark, I mm-hmm. felt like. And people were still people were still up and about. And it was really nice to kind of go take a, you know, rinse off a quick shower. I didn't have any clothes to change into, but just to, um, you know, at least get some sand, sand out of the bits, yeah. <laughs> the, the it's and bits or try to and uh, get the sand out of the chamois. Because, you know, you do a sandy race, you're just getting stuff flung up at you all day and you just end up with sand in every crevice in your ears. And I was still felt like I was getting sand out of my hair two days later. I really wish you could have been at the end to hear all of the bloody crotch stories that were being told. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> There was some funny, people were going to make cast for their things oh and all kinds of funny, funny story. Yeah. <laughs> Good time. But you weren't alone. I mean, everybody, uh, yeah, because you're going to get the sand and everything in your bibs and yep. rubbing is real. and Rubbing is real. I bought uh, I, diaper cream from one of the one of some gas station because yeah. I'm like, I, I need something. <laughs> yeah. Aquifer. And, Have you ever tried aquifer? I, I think so in the past. Yeah, I have. Yeah. That's my, that's my that's your go-to. recommend. Yeah. I liked all my little pots. I have, I have a collection of little pots of like ointments and oils now from the summer. And my favorite is mm, squirrel's nut butter because it's like cocoa butter based and coconut oil based. It's like a chamois cream? It's not a chamois cream. It's a, it's a glide cream. They sell it to runners um, for the most part, I think is how it's marketed. For chafing? For chafing, okay. but I really liked it for chamois cream as a as an ointment based instead of a cream based because I felt like it lasted a little bit longer right. throughout the day. Um, I think that's how... Um, it smelled really good. Uh, the one I would say aquifer is. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. Whatever you know, works. Whatever works. Whatever works. <laughs> Take care of your bits. <laughs> you know, it, I was to the point but where... But I think that 120, <laughs> that salmon lake was... A, that's what I was telling anybody... Um, cause I was seeing people throughout the day and everybody was putting on a happy face. It's like, man, if y'all could just get to 120, there's a shower, you can get cleaned up. There's a place to sleep, you know? Yeah. It was a, that was a great, that was a great stop. I did feel bad for the guy who rolled in at like three 30 in the morning and set up camp because it was a little bit loud in the shelter. Cause I, I think everyone made the mistake of probably sleeping too close to each other. 
So did it was, everybody sleep under that shelter? I don't think so. There were probably like ten people though, at least ten people. I think it yeah. was just, and it was loud on like with a mat straight on the ground and toss and turn. You'd hear someone thrash, and then you'd thrash, and then you hear someone else thrash around to turn over. Well, someone set up shop at like three thirty, and I'm like, dude, people are getting up at four. <laughs> You're gonna, you were gonna hate your life right now, or hate your life in about thirty minutes. I wonder who that was. I can't I, remember. I don't know. I don't know. I never. I stuck around. I didn't stick around to see and say hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess everybody slept under that shelter because it was well. It wasn't raining, but maybe fear of rain. Um, I think the ground was the ground was still wet. Oh, I think okay. That's what I remember, and I think there was some dew. Like I didn't have a tent with me. I just had I had a bivy. So if I could sleep under something, something that was going to collect dew, I didn't. If I didn't have to like use my equipment, yeah. I prefer to just sleep out as much as I can. So that was the price we paid, and. I, I needed the sleep and I didn't do that. <laughs> so when did you roll out on day two? Um, I think around like I think it ended up being like five thirty. Oh wow. Five thirty in the morning. Yeah. Cause so you're so it was motivated. impossible to sleep through anyone getting ready. So it was more of a well, you're hearing them getting ready, so you might as well get up too. Yeah. Forced motivation. Yeah. And then, you know, I when I got up, I'm like, oh man, my bike like I need to look at my bike with some more with some fresher eyes and make some more adjustments to the brakes. And so I was, I was a little slower to leave it slower to leave. And then I stopped at the donut shop on the way out because they were open at four thirty in the morning. Hell yeah! So I got a coffee, donuts, a kolache. By the way, none of which worked well with the stomach, but I was, I was so about excited to, ask. to try. <laughs> That was that was fun. They they looked like they were excited to see people. It sounds like, really good on a uh, on a solid stomach, but on a not solid stomach, it yeah. sounds like a dangerous yeah. combination. Did anyone else stop at the donut shop? I don't know. Probably. <gasps> I hope so. Probably. It was awesome. I haven't got any other donut shop stories yet. You're oh, the first one. Oh man. But I would. I like the donut shop. Yeah. No, the donut shop. By day two, I'm like, all right. I I'm need sure to... people did. I, I hope so. A lot of people were taking advantage of, you know, places along route. Okay. I, I'd hope so. Um, I kind of decided day two that I needed to, you know, my going hard was going to be the same as my, like, normal pace <laughs> that I had done all summer. So I might as well. I'm just like, I should stop and enjoy things. Just not try to rush because this isn't this isn't going to get done any faster I'm, okay. by rushing for me. I'm just going to end up spending more time on the side of the road dry heaving. So I, I, I took my time. I decided from there, like, all right, let's just try to get, let's just try to finish this, which was, a, you know, a very, very pleasant way to go about it. Yeah. Um, with that, taking that kind of pressure off. That sounds nice. Sounds quite yeah. lovely. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like how I'd want to ride the it, route. It was especially, yeah, it really was. Cause there was a section shortly after Salmon Lake that was pretty sandy. Mm -hmm. And there was one long straightaway that had to walk about half of it. And, you know, there's nothing like, Nothing like walking and pushing your bike when you're in a rush. <laughs> Is <laughs> to, that the section frustrated. by that old community center? Uh, the sandy section by the old community center? Community center? I know. I know. It, oh, yeah, the one that's kind of missing a roof. Yeah. No, there was another section before, before, before that. that. I know. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of sandy sections. There's a lot of... Those those are the two sandiest sections, I think. The, the old community center and this one, like, kind of straight away. Before was it Elkhart? I think. Yeah, Elkhart. Elkhart. Yeah. I saw a lot. I saw a lot of other foot tracks. Walking. It depends on how who you ask uh, on the amount of sand that was out there. Some people will tell you there's a lot. Other people say that's not as bad. <laughs> I I'm of the camp there. There wasn't a lot of sand. 
I I don't think so. I it was it was pretty condensed sections of like deep. Guess how many sand. total miles you think sand? Four. I was gonna say six. That's pretty damn close of a guess for a three hundred eighty <laughs> mile route. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, but that's, the, within, that's within one percent. <laughs> they're really bad, I guess. <laughs> they're really sandy. <laughs> they weren't. But they weren't. They, I don't know. I don't think they were really. Nothing on that route was really bad. What tires did you have? I think I had WTB Ramblers, and we're in. I think they were forty fives. Okay. Um, mm. I ran whatever the bike shop in Palmdale, California, had in stock. Yeah, <laughs> they could. They could get. They could get me in time. So we get these, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, I want to be comfortable. I didn't want to run like thirty threes. I'm like, hey, like that area is gonna have a lot of sand, and that's. You know, the narrow tires on cobbles are just, my hands are going to kill me. And I, I knew I was already pretty broken and I had a lot of um, numbness going on in my hands already. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to trigger that. So it's like, let's, let's go for a more comfortable ride, even if it's a little bit slower. Yeah. Um, and I'm really glad I did at this point. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. I, I always prioritize comfort personally. Yeah. So how did day two go? Well... Day two was interesting. It, was, I, it sounded like it was going well. You were going to slow down. It was going to be a nice day. I started to real. That that's when I started to feel more physical discomfort in my in my intestines. So I was not. That's when I realized, like, I'm just not hungry, and I had eaten very little. I think for the whole trip, I calculated that I wanted to eat about twelve thousand calories, and by the end of it, I think I'd only eaten about like thirty five. For the entire East Texas, for the entire route. Wait, 35 calories? 3,500, sorry. 3,500. Still, still, that's not even a day. I was significantly, like, I was significantly under-caloried and, um... I was, like, I was just nauseous, so I, I couldn't keep anything. I couldn't keep anything down, and I wasn't hungry. That's um, bad. Yeah, not not good signs. Not not a way to do an endurance event for sure. Um, I blew up my pump. Uh, it had cracked. And then, so I lost, I lost complete, I lost my pump. I couldn't use it anymore. I, uh, so now I was like basically without a way to fix a flat, which was a little scary kind of being out, out there in the middle of the nowhere. So I'm just like, all right, well, let's just ride conservatively and watch for any lips that I could burp a tire on. And then just try to, you know, if I see someone else who has a pump, you know, borrow that and pump up my tires as best as, best as I could. But I finished the ride without a pump yeah. um, at that, by that point or a CO2 cartridge. Because uh, I had stopped carrying those long ago, and so my my trusty pump failed me, uh, which was not good. And I wanted to quit that day, I really did uh, in the middle. But I, when I, we got to Jackson, I'm like, man, I can't figure out how to quit. It's a lot more trouble to quit than it is just to finish the damn race <laughs> <laughs> and, and get back to the car. You know, there's no Uber, there's no one to call. You know, there wasn't. Didn't, Maybe I was just outside of Jackson. I'm like, there's no hotels. There's, I could set up, you know, camp somewhere, but I'm still going to be in the same situation. Um, I was not carrying like a day's worth of extra food like I had been uh, for the summer. So I was, I was running slim. I didn't have a lot of extra supplies to go around. Why not get a hotel in Jacksonville? I was past Jackson oh, by that point. Oh, okay. Um, I think I was just past and. And when you I get started a, to regret it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, okay, if I get a hotel in Jackson, I still have, how do I get home? Yeah. I didn't want to be out there for like five days or six days. I wanted to, I wanted to get it done because I, I wanted to get, come back to Austin and, you know, 
get my life back on track. <laughs> I had, I think honestly, I had a job I needed to apply for yeah. <laughs> that I was really excited to, to get to. Yeah. I wanted to be done. So yeah, that's fair. Well, yeah, you were, you, know, you, you back, signed up to race. As I'm hearing myself talk, I'm like, these are not good reasons for not staying <laughs> in Jackson at all. <laughs> but race brain. Race yeah, brain. When yeah. you're out there, you're not you're not in your normal logical self all the time. Well, we talked about this last night too, is you kind of like get to sit back and analyze how you did under duress and maybe not even duress, but just like unfamiliar, uncomfortable conditions. And you're like, that was weird. Why did I do that? Yeah. You know? But you yeah, did. <laughs> you don't always have a good answer. You don't always have a good answer. That I think uh, it's really important after you finish an event like this to go back through and kind of think about those decisions. And it's like, what drove that decision? Like next time, if I'm, you know, have a situation I need to solve, like, do I need to think about it more? Or can I trust that gut reaction? Was that the right call? Um, you know, did I consider all the options or like just learning? Do I need to take a little bit more time before I make my decision to be, or was I too decisive and didn't, I maybe jumped in the wrong pool. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping yeah, off the deep end a little too soon. It's weird to think that you could uh, rush yourself when you're going that slow, but you can, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Things yeah. are moving. They can move faster, it seems. And like when you're linking back at it, you're like, man, I really didn't give that the thought I should have probably given that, you know. Exactly. Just like kept I, on going. Yeah. You, when you think about, you know, I was pretty vulnerable out there now without extra food and Basically, no way to pump up my tire. I <laughs> <laughs> had an SOS button. <laughs> so where did you stay on day two? I stayed at Camp Tejas. I eventually made it oh, there. Sweet. Um, I was too tired to remember where you had posted the information about where the campsite was. Uh -huh. So I was in the camping loop and I'm like, I don't see anyone. Like, I know people are here, uh -huh. but I didn't look on the. I, didn't want to look on the tracker. I just didn't have enough cell phone service to check. All I could do was see my like cached emails and I'm like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to camp, like take a regular campsite. Yeah. And that was, that was a really good night. I, you know, I set up and it was really quiet and I slept like eight hours, which is what my body needed. Um, and that was, that was good. It's hard to set up camp in the dark also when you're in a new area. Mm -hmm. Um, looking around it's hard to read signs yeah. uh, i didn't i didn't have a my only light was mounted to my handlebars so to you ride past something you, you can't just yeah that's why you need the helmet lamp yeah that's why you need the helmet lamp but i was like i don't want to carry that extra weight <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> um and i was running i just had a battery backup to for to charge my lights and my devices so i wasn't I didn't have a dynamo hub on that bike. So I was like trying to conserve electronic use and yeah. be, be mindful of, of that. So. Yeah. Well, you went into it thinking that you were going to do it a little faster. And so I you was. kind of prepared for yeah. fast and then you were. It was not fast. <laughs> I was not fast. I was like, all right. I just turned off my phone for the day, um, which yeah. I think I had given that advice to someone else this summer when they were asking like for a 24 hour race, you know, how big of a battery backup do they need? And I'm like, just turn off your phone, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why, no why do, backup needed. Yeah. Like, why do you, why do you need it? Your backup is your phone. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, no, that, 
Camp Tejas was, was yeah, one Mission of, Tejas. Mission Tejas, yeah. that's it. It's a really beautiful campsite. So you got to see it in the morning when you woke up? Yes, I did. I took my time in the morning. Yeah. I um so beautiful. It there. was it was beautiful. I just I couldn't I was to that point. I'm like, I can't really rush around. So I, I got a good up. Bathroom got there. Up. Yeah. Take yeah. your time. Take take your time. I mean, roll up camp, put pack it, pack it away right. And, you know, take, do some self-assessment. Um, and as I was rolling out, I actually ran into someone else who had also kind of had the same experience. We're like, I didn't know where anyone else was camping. So they set up <laughs> in a picnic area. Um, and I ended up riding with uh, Todd throughout that throughout that day. Um, oh, yeah. He was the guy who finished uh, ahead of me and let you guys know that I wasn't wasn't feeling too good. Yeah, but I was Todd still Nisbet. out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was really good to meet, you know, finally meet someone and get some, get some interaction on the course, which I was craving. It was like, man, the reason why I came back here was so I could like <laughs> share this experience with people right. <laughs> and not just be in my own head. Um, so you and him were leaving just happenstance the same time on day three? Yeah, he was getting ready to leave. Uh-huh. He was still packing up his bike. He had all of his equipment out on the picnic table. He and- brought a lot of stuff. Yeah, he. I was like, he got a lot of stuff, yeah. but you know, he was he was super cool. He was, oh, he was yeah. into he was into his story, and he was giving me sage advice about you know riding riding in New York City, and <laughs> how he uh, he's you know, never ridden out here, and this was his you know, first race. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he was it was really good to meet to meet someone and connect like that. And then we had a bunch of first timers uh, do this race, like a lot of them. The more, yeah, like first time bike backers. Well, yeah. That was yeah. so cool. Yeah, it was wild, which was what I wanted. I wanted this to be more accessible for people, like a way to introduce people to pushing their limits, to endurance racing, to bikepacking, to all these things, because you can go fast. But what I was thinking as we were talking is like, you know, I made it to where there's some nice resources, campsites where you can, if you want to just tour it, if you want to like take a shower and take your yeah. time in camp, it's really kind of a, a nice way to enjoy it too. I, I think you nailed it with the course layout and having those two campsites at that, those distances of like about 120 and then 130 mile day. Yeah. Um, or 140 if you get a little lost in the forest like I did, but <laughs> just got a little turned around in the GPS and, you know, biked up and down the same hill a couple of times. Oh no. Yeah. I just wanted to be sure <laughs> I was head, headed in the right direction. All that experiential learning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think you nailed it with that. This was, this was a great course. Um, oh yeah. This was a great course for people. So as a Texan, yeah, I was, well, as a uh, transplant Texan, I mean, oh, you've, yeah. you've lived here for a while. You're familiar with Texas, I should say, and riding in Texas. Yeah, you you like the route. I, I mean, that's your biggest fear is you create a route and you're like, I think it's good, but what are other people, people going to think, think, you know? I really commend you for putting that route out there, especially since I know you said you hadn't, you have not, yourself had not ridden the entire route all linked together. Right. You know, the pieces, but, you know, things are, it's a different beast when it's all synergized and linked um i really commend you for doing that take some balls i drove the whole thing yeah but riding is riding is yeah. different when you feel that sand oh when you, yeah, yeah when you no, it's feel totally different. the miles of sand or like squishiness underneath your tires it's yeah. uh i want to i'm looking yeah. forward to riding it the oh, you should oh i'm going to <laughs> i just um i was talking to the guys last night and i don't think we said this on the podcast but I thought about this afterwards. I, I need to ride it. But the advantage of a car is that if there's a dead end or a trespassing, which I came into yeah. a lot of those, 
where you think the road goes and it doesn't and you need to reroute. If you're on a bike, that would have taken it took oh, me it's... it took me 14 months. 14 months yeah, to develop it. that route. I couldn't believe it. I went back cuz I was writing that article for bikepacking.com and I was like, "When did I make the first ever East Texas Showdown route?" It was August of 2020 or Wow. 20. Yeah, I was like, "Holy shit." 14 months in and the I've making. And I've been obsessing over it. You know, people make humans faster. Than <laughs> <that>. <laughs> yeah. I was doing other stuff too, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, it takes a long time because there's so many pieces of the puzzle and, and you'll know that Texas is harder to find remoteness and to like actually get away from people and city centers and, and all that. It's big, but I, people are sprawled out here. I think you did a wonderful job um, in a, finding remoteness in an area that is pretty, pretty populated. Um, that still had, you know, it was still accessible, uh, you know, as opposed to doing a route, you know, somewhere west where you know it's you know a little hillier there's less resources there's less water um for people water is always my my number one concern um where you know how how far away are my water stops what are what are we looking at and honestly on that route uh, thank goodness we went right by enough little towns that you could get water and you didn't have to rely on surface water because it was nasty surface water. I, I do not recommend anyone drinking any of that water on the no. surface or trying to filter it. I, I've uh, told people only as an emergency use, but I can't even imagine a scenario of emergency use for it um, because you could walk your bike yes. somewhere faster and, and would probably be a better option. But yeah, yeah that yeah. I'm I'm glad I'm glad that was the the idea is to get away from the bigger city centers, hop into the little towns, but try to find the most remote rural experience absolutely possible. And as you work your way up north, you get into just more. Do you, were, did you ride that neighborhood um, outside of Jacksonville during the daytime? That weird, the one that goes along the uh, the lake. It's like the a really hilly one. The, it's yeah. like a crazy. <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. I Isn't rode that, that with Kyle and Ben. Yeah. Um, that was really fun. There were some beautiful houses. You saw some like monster. Mon- not monsters, but yeah, some there was new some with steel and, beams. I saw yeah. some with steel beams, but, and that's a big house. Yeah, like that was a big. That was going to be a big, beautiful. And then they, house. and then they had some shitty houses. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? I want to buy one of those shitty ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a beautiful section. I, I put. The, I thought that was a fun little thing to put on the. I, we could have routed around it, but I thought it was just a, a cool little thing to ride through and see yeah. that little tucked away community. I it like was, to see how people live. I it's do always too. interesting to me too. You see the transaction of the how people live in rural areas. That's yes. something I'm really interested in. And you know, I've mostly lived in big cities um, my life, or in the suburbs of big cities. Right. And you go out to these little areas, and like, how do y'all live out here? Like, what right. do y'all do for work? Mm-hmm. What do you? How do you? How do you make this work? Um, and I don't think I know. I, I don't understand yet, but I constantly ask that question when yeah. I go to places. Well, that's interesting. Like, how do you live here? What's it like? You, uh, what you, do you do for fun? <laughs> Sit on my porch. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think they just enjoy a slower lifestyle, man. I don't yeah. know. I don't. 
I really don't know. It is interesting. Maybe as we do more of these, we'll learn more and more. But it is fun to, I mean, I'll pop into those gas stations and talk to the people. And they're just like hanging out in the gas station. Like they got nowhere to go, nowhere to be. You know, they're just catching up on the town gossip. And I remember one lady was talking about it, a dog that she adopted. And then the other lady was trying to take her back from her. Oh. <laughs> I think they just, I don't know. They just, small town gossip and... Maybe it's just different priorities. Yeah. Different priorities. Or yeah, you learn you 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 gain you get your joy and satisfaction from life in you know, different areas that we don't pay that much attention to. Yeah. I think maybe. I'm not I'm not sure. I'm gonna interview them on the podcast. We'll Sweet. find out. I'm gonna go to some of the small towns and be like, What do y'all do? And what do y'all think about us? We'll get their perspective on us and us on them. <laughs> I like that. I I have a town that you should go talk to some people. You'd find some real interesting folks. Elk, Elk City, Idaho. It is on the Western Miles route, and it's about 500 people and has, you know, three grocery store, two grocery stores, a gas station, and that that's about it, a post office, but super, super cute, super friendly. I got Elks, a, Iowa. Elk, Elk City. Elk City. Elk City. Oh, Idaho. Okay. Idaho. Idaho. I um, like Idaho. It was beautiful. Idaho was wonderful, but I met some real interesting characters there, like a guy who got banned from the only grocery store in town. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I wonder if people were charging him a surcharge to do his grocery shopping for him. (laughs) Like, what did you do to get banned from the grocery store? The only one in town. (laughs) I have some guesses. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So how did day three go? Oh, you rode with Tony or yeah, Tony Todd, Todd, Todd? yeah, Todd. Todd Nisbet. Yes, uh, yes, concrete trails on Instagram. Um, it was to just honestly, day three was just a struggle. I was just <laughs> trying to get done by that point. I knew that I wanted to, I wasn't going to do the lower loop, like, there was, there was no way I was going to have time, <laughs> so I just wanted to finish. Um, and honestly, it's kind of a blur. It, it, were you riding was, much or were you walking a lot? Like, I was I was riding, riding slowly, but... I were you mean, able to, like, keep any, like, positive, positivity or was it just a slug? It was... A slog. Honestly, it was... That positivity was a struggle. Um, I, I was having trouble keeping some positive thoughts there. I, I listened to... I heavily relied on music to keep the mood uh, light and not not delve into too many dark places because I was just... I, I felt pain at all... All the contact points, my back hurt, my my hip was hurting, and just all these old injuries just kind of resurfaced at the same time, things that I had worn out um, from the previous trips that I hadn't let heal uh, before starting this. So I was... I was in a lot of pain, yeah. um, and I knew that, like, I was already making my plan for, like, what do I need to do when I come back to Austin? It's like, all right, got to go to the chiropractor, got to go to, got to go get a massage, probably going to have to go to the chiropractor again. Put Humpty um, Dumpty back together again. You and yeah. your bike, man, both. Oh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a process. <laughs> it's a process. <laughs> Takes it out of you. Like, figure out what the order of operations was uh, for that. Turns out the bike was first. <laughs> <laughs> What was it, uh, whenever people would, you know, pass by the bullet or supposedly pass by the bullet, we would always stand on the other side of the road and try to be like, come on, you do it. And you could tell the people that were like, not at all going to keep going. And you were one of them. You were like, no, no, not even. I was so excited to see y'all. I don't, I don't think it showed in my face, but I was so happy to see everyone out there. Yeah. 
cheering and and welcoming in the <laughs> the caboose. <laughs> I didn't know I was the caboose. I thought there were other people still out there. Well, behind people, me. yeah, people like dropped out. So there were people behind you that that didn't finish, but you were the last finisher. Yeah, oh, that is so cool. Yeah. I you know. And you've, thank you for calling me a finisher, even though I, I didn't complete, I didn't complete either route, technically. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't it's, hold to, it's, it's a very loose race. The, ra- the race is there for the people who like want to go fast, but it, it's more of an opportunity to, you know, do it however you want to, right? Yeah. If you want to do it uh, fast, slow, if you want to do that loop, add on that one, da-da, I don't care. I even called this guy, uh, uh, Derek. He's going to come on the podcast. You probably haven't heard the story, but he um, he he got lost. His navigation went oh. down. Oh, no. And uh, he wound up knocking on a door. It was this old like house that was built in 1850. Oh, cool. The cool couple like gave him a tour of the house. They made him a spaghetti dinner. They like printed off MapQuest-like oh. things. So wow. he could like get home and he didn't follow the route at all. He made up his <laughs> own like thing, but he's still a finisher. Like he still like went on an adventure. He went on a solo self-supported endeavor oh, and figured so cool. out his way home. You know what I'm saying? He didn't call me. You didn't call me. And like, you know, you bailed yourself out. You got yourself into a thing and you bailed yourself out. And that is what it's about for me. You know, like that, giving people that opportunity is more important than like oh who did it the fastest which we'll we'll acknowledge the fastest and that's cool but um i really hope that with this event or race that we can celebrate everybody from first to last and even even the people like i said this in my in my speech but you didn't hear it but uh, <laughs> i was too busy driving a lot of yeah you're driving a lot of people didn't hear because they uh they left early they just had to get back home for work or whatever so i'll, I'll mention it here but i respect every single person that just showed up to the start line and and started like no matter how far you made it because so many so many people you know, would never try something like that either because they're they're too scared, they're too unsure, they don't believe in themselves enough, whatever it is. Like so many people have too many things that'll keep them from ever even trying something like that. So the fact that we had so many people try, whether you made it 100 miles or 380, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I congratulate everybody for for that effort, you know. I 100% agree. And I'm just going to add on what's really amazing is that you were able to bring those people together in the same event who had vastly different goals and different experiences. And it was all because you brought them there together. That is so cool. Thank you. We all came away with something a little bit different. No one had the same experience. Yeah. I was talking to Andrew Onerma, who is one of those fast guys. And we were talking about. I wanted to meet him. And I was just. He's cool. But like we were talking about how much we respect like you and Todd and you know, other people that are like really just slogging through. And you're obviously like I knew you had a lot of fitness. So I was like, she's either touring or something <laughs> is not going well. Like I didn't know if you I, I didn't have any expectation, but I knew you were pretty fit. You came from elevation. You just done 4000 miles like you're an <laughs> endurance racer. Like I'm like, OK, she's either touring and there's a problem, but she's still moving. So everything's fine, you know. But yeah, I mean, we're we're just like in awe of, and those. That's the thing is like we often focus on who went fastest, but the people that are out there like really slogging through and are really struggling, 
are probably oftentimes having a harder time than the guy that, you know, like you were saying, got done, you know, the day before he's, you know, halfway through a bottle of whiskey and enjoying, <laughs> and enjoying life, you know? Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, you think about most people aren't the fastest person. I mean, right. 99.999% of people who are out bikepacking, they're more like me. They're out there struggling yeah. or having a bad day or weren't, you know, weren't able to execute their plan. And, you know, it's okay. Um, you know, I like to tell people who are talking about, thinking about trying a bikepacking trip. And, you know, I ask them a couple questions. I'm like, have you ever biked before? Have you ever biked more than like 20 miles? And if they say yes, I'm like, just go try it. Like, as long as you have this, like, you've developed some base knowledge of biking and a little bit of confidence in yourself, you'll be surprised at what you can do. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a total noob, I will say, like, take it slow. <laughs> I would <laughs> to, say. To not totally jump off the cliff. But I, I'm a believer in, like, jump into that frying pan and see what you can really do. I, you'll yeah. surprise yourself. Especially with endurance efforts. Yeah. We are endurance machines. And, you know, going slow for long distances is something that we're actually pretty capable of doing. Exactly. We don't do it often. So our brain and our body, they're going to rebel. Um, but that mental toughness of just pushing through, oftentimes you'll find that, you know, either you can do it and it's going to suck. Or sometimes you just like, some people just wake up one day and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel great. You know, it's like <laughs> every, everything feels good. You yeah. didn't get to that point. <laughs> no, not on, not on this trip, unfortunately, but I, but you I've, still endured I've been it. There. You know? I, I've yeah. gotten there in the past and it is a liberating feeling to like, oh, I can go out and have really hard days, long days, might not be going that fast, but I can do them back to back to back to back to back. And that is just such a confidence building experience. Um, but, you know, I, confidence is weird. It takes confidence to have confidence and to build confidence. <laughs> yeah. So start I, small, though. That's yeah. why I think you know I really appreciate your podcast and you're bringing out people because a little takes a little bit of inspiration to believe in yourself sometimes. Even to come on a podcast, I find like some uh, people. I was nervous. Yeah. Well, I think everybody <laughs> is, you know. And but I think the reality of it is that everybody's experience is valuable to somebody else, you know. And you're right about what you said with the 99%, that's, you know, kind of my focus with the podcast because I'm in that 99%. I'm not one of the fast people, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I work and I mean, you're not working now, but you know what it's like oh, to work gosh. nine to five and like not have all the time in the world to train and you don't have big windows for adventures. So you have to be very selective about the ones that you do. All your energy comes out of one bucket. You don't have a work bucket and a fun bucket yeah. and an adventure <laughs> bucket. You know, if, if it's a, it's a rough, rough year at work, like, other things are going to suffer, unfortunately. So it's just learning how to parse it out and that, that, that energy management. But that's why, man, I really, I, yeah, I don't, I've gravitated towards it just naturally, but making like the East Texas showdown or my Sam Houston restaurant tour that are geared towards beginners or, you know, first time people or the neat thing about the showdown was that it can also attract like someone fast that wants to go with nothing. So it's like that perfect distance where you're like, take nothing, go super fast. But, you know, it brings like the community together. I never closed that loop on that thought, but that's what I was talking with, about with Andrew is how, um, you know, 
uh, you know, people like me, I look at someone like Andrew or Lael or any name, any like fast person. Right. And I'm just like, man, that's so cool. I love that. You know, and I use it for inspiration. I'm like, man, if they can like push through the <laughs> night, I can push at least one more hour or something, you know? And, yeah. um, it also lets you know that those things are possible, but you know, like I said, uh, Andrew has a lot of respect for, it's not like the fast guys are like those chumps or whatever. That's the cool <laughs> thing about this community is it's like, they, everybody respects everybody so much. And so it was neat to get everybody together at the exact same event and celebrate everybody and just get to enjoy the experience. And it's not elevating one experience over another. We had people ride in all different manners. You know, we had people with rim brakes. We had people with rigid. I mean, all, we had a 36er. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we had sandals. <laughs> Anything you want goes. Oh, that... The variety, yeah, the variety of folk who you who who started this race was very impressive. I was very humbled, uh, kind of, to be a part of that part of that mix. And yeah, just add, add my experience to others. I mean, I hope someone else can be inspired by me. <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, yeah, it's it's so cool to be able to like see so many people take on a challenge. I wonder if it's speaking to like the number of bike packers that are out there that are just like just looking for opportunities uh, because I, I don't know the numbers, but I feel like 60 to 70%. Uh, so many people are out there looking yeah. to start bike packing. It's yeah. um, crazy. It's, you see it all the time on, uh, you know, different, different community groups online. Um, I'm part of one for the, you know, the gap in the CNO canal path trail. Yeah. And it's every day there's someone who says like, Hey, I'm going to do this trip. Never done it. Never done anything like this before. What, you know, and then they kind of list their, list their questions. And what's really amazing is that there's a whole community who's just ready to jump in there and support them anyway, you know, no matter what their question is, what they're, what they're set up, um, where they're coming from or how, how, how new of a cyclist they are. It just doesn't matter. Like everyone out here wants to support everyone else. Yeah. And you see that, you see that everywhere. Um, yeah, it's a very groups and welcoming community and I hope that you know I feel like we're all doing our part in making sure that it stays that way or hopefully it continues to be that way more people will come and do it that's the whole thing man that's why I wanted to make this event like super accessible not only with you know the distance but the resupply points the information available and I thought about this a lot because I didn't want I was like well I don't want to take away from the experience and the adventure of it and all that and I was like you know what like we need more stepping stones you know we need more like okay there's the epic adventure but you know how do we get there you, get you know there? it's like okay well we got i've done an overnighter i've done a little camping but like what's the next step you know and that that's the that's exactly where i wanted to be i wanted to be like the next step for people to where they could um you know m maybe after they did the, this route or uh, they can feel comfortable to go out and do something like more epic yeah, or they could they could plan their own thing. And the one thing about I don't think you can put too much information out about a route because if people don't want that information, they don't have to read it. That's You'll get exactly. people like me like eh, I'm not going to read that. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly what I landed on. I was like, you know what? The POIs are there, but if you don't want to look at them, just turn them off. Yeah. You know, it's like go blind. You don't have to look at it. That's what that's where I ultimately landed. So tell me what was your favorite part of the route? You know, aside, I mean. For the route favorite. itself, yeah. <laughs> I was, oh, I was really, 
excited and looking forward to the times we crossed the um, the Neches River and the river valley and I knew what the terrain like coming across the floodplain because I figured it'd be this nice like beautiful sandy floodplain with this deeply meandering incised river and that would be just this you know I imagine the river is this majestically beautiful slowing snake across the landscape just weaving back and forth across time and I definitely stopped on the bridges um even at night when we crossed it the second time to just you know kind of admire it and take in its beauty and majesty and the effect it's had on the landscape and how it's the the power of moving sediment downstream, just the geologist speaking into me. Um, so I was really looking forward to, you know, crossing through those different like geo, geophysical um, provinces. And I just, I really like rivers. I do too. <laughs> They're beautiful. Do you do much uh, like kayaking or canoeing or anything? No, I don't. I'm also terrified of whitewater. Oh, yeah. So crossing water um, with my bare feet is something that I'm really scared of. And that is something I conquered this summer a couple times um, on my route that when I went off the Western Wilds and into Utah, I did my own thing. I had a couple really sketchy stream crossings where I had to you know, stop and like, all right, how am I going to do this? I don't know how deep it is. Carrying your bike and everything? I, I prefer to wheel the bike for the most part to use as kind of a, um, yeah, stability, stability. And also, yeah, I'm not with the, the loaded bike. Um, or else you just have to leave it on the side bank and take off all the bags and take everything over one at a time yeah. if you need to. Um, cause I, I don't think I'm quite strong enough. To, I can't carry my bike over the top of my head when it was, when it's loaded. I was worried about quicksand because I have had an experience in Escalante previously backpacking, uh, where we had a, there, there was my friend, my friend got stuck in quicksand and we had to dig her out and we ended up having to re-engineer the stream to reroute the water, the water around her so we could actually effectively dig her out. So that was running through the back of my nice. mind. <laughs> I've never seen quicksand before. It doesn't look like much. It just looks like sand, sand. and sand in the um, the stream, or just Holy even if it's not quicksand, but just you know sinking up to your thigh in thick mud in a stream. There was a time I crossed the muddy river, um, which is really aptly named the muddy river. Um, it was just nasty, muddy, like a mud bottom bed of the river so yeah. you're like you step in it your foot goes and it just right. keeps going and going and going you're like uh I've been, okay i have been one of those before <laughs> <laughs> what's gonna happen and then you know the i got to the other side and the bank collapsed on me and that was a real big oh shit moment oh my god by that point i'm like i don't know where the trail is so i just had to you take a moment you look around you look at the the landscape around you and you think about where the route has to be, match it up to the map and head in that direction and uh, don't deviate. Uh, <laughs> smart. Trust your, trust your, so when you're trust looking, your skills. when you're looking for where the route has to be, you're saying like, you know, based on the terrain. Yes. Yes. And keeping a good sense of direction and, you know, does the route generally head downstream? Am I crossing across the slopes? Am I going upstream? What were the, you know, the river junctions that I'm passing? Um, should I be going into a bigger valley or should we be going into a smaller valley? What does a satellite imagery look like? Does it like look like bare slope or is it this like low, low mesquite that's over top of my head that might be blocking my view? Um, yeah. All sorts of. All, all, sorts of, all sorts of context that's, clues. That's what I look at. 
<laughs> I'm like, it dips down there a little bit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it pays to be a geologist. <laughs> And, <laughs> and pay attention to your surroundings. It really does help to pay attention to your surroundings. Uh, and you get to immerse yourself in everything, the weather, the terrain, and everything whenever you're bikepacking. So you do become more aware. I haven't become aware to the level that you are, but, you know, more aware than normal than <laughs> if what? I was driving down the highway in my car. <laughs> There, there can be too much awareness and it's, sometimes <laughs> you just got to shut that off. It's like, I don't need to think about the worst, like the worst possible scenario right now. Yeah. Um, I just, I just don't need to think about it. Just concentrate on the, just concentrate on the simple stuff <laughs> that you can conquer and you can do something about. So, I forget why I started talking about quicksand, but. Oh, I don't know. But I was going <laughs> to. we uh, Rabbit holes and tangents are just a part of my life. So how long did it take you whenever you finished because, I mean, I was there when you yeah. finished. You weren't feeling great. Like, no. how long until you actually started to feel okay? As soon as I, about like an hour, an hour of just not moving yeah. and kind of really letting that that stomach settle and get the, the bile, the bile back from the throat and just take in a little bit more food and water and let it digest in peace instead of while moving and like kind of hunched over. So it, it took me about an hour and then I felt like I was okay to drive um to go to a hotel because i really i didn't have any dry clothes to wear because everything in my car had gotten wet because uh, i had uh, forgotten that i had a leak in the roof of my car <laughs> over oh, the no. summer so all that rain just kind of poured in and um i had wet bags and bags and bags of wet clothes because i had everything with me from california oh, in my, my car what did you do i uh, it stayed wet for a couple of days until I could get to a laundromat. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't do anything. Yeah. I mean, what can you do? Nothing, nothing. I just, I knew I needed to get to a hotel so I could get, get a good night's sleep and rest and get the sand out of my hair and out of my yeah, ears. Priorities. Yeah. I think you, oh, were, were you driving behind me that day? No. Cause yeah. you left, oh yeah. I, you know, I'm glad I didn't get pulled over by the cops because I realized I was driving like an old person or a drunk person because I was not going 65 miles an hour oh. on that road. <laughs> I could not do it. I'm like, that just seems too fast. Let's go 40. <laughs> oh, no. It's so funny because I was behind. I didn't know it was you, mm. but I was behind you for a while. But it, it was funny because I remember thinking, I'm like, man, this person and I were on the same way. Because I, dri I drive slow anyway. I drive oh, that, perfect. I drive that big old refrigerator box on wheels. So it doesn't even like to go that fast. Um, but I was, I was, I was wiped out. I, that's why I didn't stick around long. Uh, I was like, man, oh, yeah, no. I was so tired. Uh, I had my own like endurance sport and had an hour and a half drive home. And I was looking forward to my bed and all that. Right. So, um, but I was driving slow. <laughs> And then I saw it was you. I was like, "Oh yeah," but you know, you weren't driving drunk or anything. I I'm, I was afraid of getting pulled over for driving for driving drunk, and I was like, "I'm gonna have a hard time proving that I'm not." <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna be able to walk straight on a line. I'm like not slurring my speech, but I don't look right. <laughs> yeah, you just have to uh, give him my number and tell him I'll explain the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Just tell him you're crazy. <sighs> oh man, you know how many times it's I've been crazy. called crazy this summer. <laughs> <laughs> it's you're doing what? You're crazy. Well, you are kind of crazy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good kind. It's a good type. Yeah, of crazy. a good kind of crazy. It's the direct adventurous, crazy. <laughs> just adventurous. Thank 
thank you. I don't know. It's not that crazy. It, uh, it's crazy to people because they, they haven't gone through the same steps that you have. They didn't grow up camping. They didn't, they don't have years and years of experience biking and all that, you know, like, yeah. so it's crazy to them. Exactly. You know, in it their worldview, the it's crazy. But from your worldview, it's it's a, it's a transition that's been happening over a long time. I mean, your whole life, you know, really. Yeah. I mean, all of it. You know, the way you exude like confidence in the outdoors or whatever. I mean, those are learned traits that you probably got from like your parents or just growing up in the outdoors or whatever. Exactly. It's like, well, the good news is there's lots of stuff I am not good at. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. So we all we all have our uh, special areas of interest. And so I think, think bikepacking has just fit this really amazing place in my life where I get to you know, use the skills I've learned. I get to, you know, you know observe, observe the earth around me and like, work really hard riding my bike and be an athlete, be a scientist, be, a, be an adventurer all at the same time. And it is just so rewarding. What's harder, the East Texas Showdown or this uh, table? Oh, God, this table. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. The the East Texas Showdown, for sure, for sure. Because I don't have to sit at this table for, like, 38 hours of riding. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I got to, I'm actually interviewing uh, Alicia and Hannah up next. Oh, nice. So, yeah, we're going, we're, I'm doing uh, five interviews in less than 24 hours. Oh, man. I saw Hannah last night for her birthday party. Yeah, I'm going to have to wish her happy birthday. Yeah. Are you, uh, so we're going to do the East Texas Showdown again in March. Oh, March already? Yeah. The demand and interest, I mean, so many people are like, let's just do it in the spring. Sure, no problem. I think it'll be better because people won't have to train through the summer. You know, that that was one of the issues that a lot of people here had was like, it was just so hot to be able to like get actually race ready. Luckily, the (sighs) weather cooled down like two weeks before or a week before, but. That's good. March. March. I think that would be a, that's, that's ideal. Yeah, That's see where you're at with terrain. your uh, with your job and everything, but yeah, you might I, get a might get to. I don't know. That's the question, though. Would you take another stab at it? Uh, you know, I love, I love uh, when I don't when I don't finish something. I do like coming back to to finish it out and do it do it the way I wanted to. I I would take another stab at it. Um, you know, already having ridden that course, it's like it almost feels like not fair to compete against my other time now. Cause now I know, like I, I already mapped out, like I already mapped out some like camping sites. Or, like, Oh, I could have stayed there. Um, yeah, I would, I would, I would try it again. Maybe yeah, not but, this March, but, or just but place, you, you earned to, that knowledge though. That's true. You did earn it. You went through all that so you can have that knowledge and you can use it next time. So that's true. Oh, yeah. That's actually, that's one of the things I found the most challenging um, about the route was Thinking about how I would, how I wanted to ride it, I got used to being able to just kind of camp wereever I needed to at the moment um, or, you know, ride a couple miles and there'd be something appropriate where I could like tuck away and it wasn't, I wasn't butting up against like private property or the issues we have in Texas. So even though that's not what I did, I, I camped at the the campsites that were kind of, you know, laid out, which was amazing, amazing to have that as a resource. Um, you know, riding it in the way I think I need, I would want to, to be competitive is going to be, it's going to be harder than I thought it would be. Cause I, I'm going to want to like camp somewhere in the middle of the road. It's going to be in the, like in the middle of the road or yeah. something, um, to get Next that. time we do it though, it'll, there'll be dispersed camping. So you can kind of camp in a yeah. lot more options. So it'll yeah. Help. But even, yeah, even then there's still not, 
Yeah. yeah. Even even post then, office. it's, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Cemeteries. <laughs> Cemeteries. I like those. Those are my favorite place. Yeah. All right. Well, I got to do the next one. All right. Well, thank you for thank you for interviewing me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, I am, thank you. I am honored. Thank you for to coming all the way from California. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and congrats on being our Lantern Rouge. Woohoo! Thank you so much. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Okay. I hope that y'all enjoyed that conversation that I had with Katie McGuire. Obviously, we had a really enjoyable time, and uh, we enjoyed the conversation. So hopefully, you did too. I had to wrap that one up because I kind of lost track of time when Katie and I were talking. We were just having a good old time, flapping our jaws, and I looked down at the clock, and I was like, oh, no, got to go. So right after this one, I scramble over and meet up with Hannah and Alicia, uh, who were the first place finishers on the East Texas showdown route for the women, and uh, they shared first place, so it was fun to chat with them and, and hear their experience, and that is coming out next week. So you'll have to hang tight one more week for that one. All right, well, that's all for me today, but I do want to ask that if you enjoy this episode or any other of the 92 episodes that we've produced here at Bikes for Death, please consider signing up as a Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash bikes for death or supporting the show in a number of other ways. You can visit our website at bikesfordeath.com. We got a store there with a lot of hot fire merchandise so you can rep the Bikes for Death lifestyle. We also have an affiliate link program there. So if you're looking at buying pretty much anything in the outdoors or cycling industry, uh, we've got a link for you. REI, backcountry.com, Helinox chairs, Hefe bike, uh, lots and lots of options there. So uh, if you're looking at doing some shopping, especially as the holiday season is upon us, you can use those links. And every time you buy something with one of those links, Bikes or Death is going to get a little kickback. And that's a great, easy way to support the show. Another great way to support the show is to leave a five-star review on iTunes. It is easy, it is quick, and it makes a huge difference in helping other people find this show, which is great because, as you know, I'm in the business of inspiring people to get outside and ride their damn bike. And the more people on bikes, the more better for everybody. So if you are going to be in New Mexico this weekend, holler at your boy. Other than that, I will catch you on the flip side next week with my episode with Alicia and Hannah. Until then, enjoy this beautiful weather and don't forget to ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike Memories forgotten from the previous night You rode faster than ever before Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer Your bike feels weightless, your legs aren't tired you think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes for death. Bikes for death.